Love's world in sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down, a lot of things that's happening in the world of sports. I hope that you're doing great. I hope that you're doing fantastic. I hope that you're having those difficult conversations with those who don't look like you. And so we can kind of move this society forward in a positive direction for those who need to be learning. Shut up, listen, learn, don't talk. Listen, learn, educate yourself, open the mind, be open to expansion, be open to hearing a different view, be open to listening to those who you might not have thought of you would listen to before. Do what you need to do to listen to those folks, to educate yourself so you can move forward and move this society in a positive direction. So there you go. Konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, mademoiselle, monsieur, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Oh, man, so glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi llamo en Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Wassalamu alaikum, my brother. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace, yours truly. I hope that you're doing great. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Today on the podcast, man, is going to be all about, it's going to be all about the NBA the resumption of the NBA season. So far, I'm enjoying it. So far, it's been great. I have a few things that I want to discuss in terms of the come on now, but for the most part, um, the level of play, the intensity, the game itself, the entertainment value, it's been really good. It's been really good. My first thoughts and feelings of the season, I really enjoyed the lack of people in attendance. That doesn't really bother me. I thought maybe it would be something, but maybe I've been kind of conditioned. I've watched, um, watched a lot of boxing. That's right, Armando Vasquez. I, lot, I watched a lot of boxing and also uh, the UFC, MMA, watched Bellator on Friday night. So I'm kind of now starting to get a little used to the fact that there really aren't any, well, not really, there aren't any fans in the in the uh, stadium or auditorium or the arena, watched even a little hockey. So I'm starting to get used to it. So the fact that there's a lack of people in the NBA arenas where they're playing or the fact of where they're playing right now really doesn't bother me. I, I don't mind that. You know, the Oregon and Oregon is trying to get the crowd involved and shots at the crowd. Those things for me are the most annoying about watching basketball and sports in general. Really, especially when you're talking about college football or college basketball, but really concentrating on college football. Every flip in time, whether it's CBS, whether it's ABC, whether it's NBC, whether it's ESPN2, whether it's ESPN, wherever you're going to be watching a college football game, it's the same doggone pattern every flip in single time. After every touchdown, they show the fans from the home and visitors team, always. Showing the parents of the players and their backstories. I don't care. I don't care about the mother of the quarterback. I don't care about the father of the running back. I don't care about the grandfather of the wide receiver. I don't care about the father of the coach. I don't care about their backstory. Especially, hell, especially when it comes to the black athletes. Because it seems like every single flipping time they show 
or they talk about the backstory if they show their mother or their father. It's always accompanied by, wow, this guy is so awesome. This guy is so great. Why? Because he overcame such obstacles. He came from a poor background. He came from a terrible neighborhood. His mother was in jail. His father was in drugs, was on drugs. His brother was in gangs. He was shot 15 times. His friends around him died because of drugs and the environment that they were in. All right, all right, we get it. The majority of black folks that you're talking about, they came from bad neighborhoods. All right, we get it, we get it. They came from harsh realities. Okay, we get it. Can you show me a white kid that grew up in the white ghetto and his mother was on drugs and his father was in jail and his brother was a gangbanger and his sister got shot? I mean, can we have this story for white folks? Because damn, if I didn't know any better, I would swear watching college football that almost every black person on earth or at least in America, came from a poor background where the mother was in trouble, the father was in trouble, and one of their siblings was, was dead. I digress. So that's one of the reasons why I just enjoy the fact that we don't have to put up with that nonsense. So even though they're really starting to show more of the viral fans watching the game, making reference to it, very annoying. Very annoying, especially on NBA TV where they start showing the sideline reporters and the... And the folks in terms of the the ticket, you know, the season ticket holders. And if you're watching a game on ABC or ESPN, if the Lakers or somebody have some type of mini celebrity or something like that, that they keep making reference to. But, but, you know, I just kind of hope that they quit that. They probably won't. But, you know, still, I just really enjoy the games. I'm really enjoying the fact that the NBA is bad. Very good use of the crowd noise. It allows yourself to forget that there's no fans. But it's not obviously pumped in. It's not obviously canned. So I kind of like that. What I would really like, forget all that kind of stuff. I would love for the NBA and the television networks, which I know they won't, and I understand why they won't, but I would just love to have it be like, you know what, let's listen to the players. I mean, and let's really listen to what's going down on the court. I mean, for real. You remember watching The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary, where I believe on ESPN they had the clean version, and then on, I believe it was uh, ESPN2, they had the the real version, the raw version, Last Dance Unplugged, Last Dance Raw, Last Dance, the blue version. Remember that? I would love to have it to where the NBA, for instance, if you're going to be having a game on TNT, you know, TNT, Tuesday, Thursday night doubleheaders. Especially, again, now, since this is such a unique situation with no crowd noise and they're in this bubble and they're playing in front of nobody. I would love to have it to where, you know, on TNT, you can go ahead and listen to the quote-unquote clean version. But any sister station of CBS, whether it be True TV, you know, on the college basketball with the NCAA tournament with CBS, they have it on TN, they have it on TNT, they have it on TBS, they have it on True TV. It's like they have five or six different locations of where you can watch these games because they're all under the same umbrella, right? I would love to have maybe these True TVs or a channel or a, you know that doesn't get a lot of eyeballs watching their normal programming. I would love to have the NBA put those games on without crowd noise, without nothing. Just listen to the players and the coaches and everybody else. Just just hear them. That, to me, would be the greatest. Now, I wouldn't recommend it for children under the age of 13 to listen to it. I, and people maybe with some sensitive ears. People who might be a little offended by language. But for me, that would be great. 
Because I tell you one thing, man, because, you know, you're watching the basketball game and it's getting more and more now that the season's rolling on since the resumption of the season. The season's rolling on from week one to week two. Week three is going to be starting uh, this week and we're going to be getting into the playoffs. So while the intensity has been good and while the competitive level has been great with the playoffs starting soon and the stakes getting a bit higher, it's going to you're going to hear a lot more seven second delays. So sometimes it kind of throws the rhythm off when I'm, when I'm watching a, a program, when I'm watching the NBA and I'm listening to Stan Van Gundy or I'm listening to Jeff Van Gundy or I'm listening to Ian Eagle or I'm listening to Mike Breen or I'm listening to Reggie Miller who should be muted more often or if I'm listening to uh, Doris Burke. Well, I'm just listening and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be making a point and then their point is cut off because of the seven second delay because someone on the, on the uh, court cursed you know, kind of throws off my listening rhythm, so to speak. So, you know, I, I would kind of like it to where if you're going to be doing that, maybe you should pump up the crowd noise a little bit more so that won't be happening. Or maybe, as I mentioned before, again, which will never happen, but it would be fantastic if those games could be transferred over. Of, You know, you can watch it on TNT and then maybe watch the uncut raw version on True TV. Whether you can watch... ESPN, the ESPN game, watch the clean version on ESPN, but then watch the raw, uncut blue version on ESPN2 or ESPN Deportes or ESPN News or something like that. That would be fantastic because I tell you one thing, and you listen to that, I don't care all the curse words that you're going to be hearing when those guys are playing. Right up at the top, I'm going to say maybe number two, number three in terms of the most used uh, curse words, blue words, uh, offensive words that those NBA players are going to be using on the court. It ain't going to be fuck. It ain't going to be shit. It ain't going to be goddamn. You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> that N-word on that court is going to be thrown out at least, I don't know, what, 15 times a quarter? <laughs> I mean, and that's just coming from J.R. Smith. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But it's like... You know, you know, come on, man. I mean, you know, black folks, we know. You know, we get out on the court, you start playing, start going against other folks. You know that word is going to be thrown out there a lot. So, you know, it would be something to hear, to hear the uncut version. Woo, bam. I don't know, man. White folks who don't like Black Lives Matter, black folks who don't like Black Lives Matter, boy, they be having, well, you talking about ammunition <laughs> that they would have to try to bring down that, uh, try to bring down that, that cause, right? Good Lord have mercy. You think white folks who are up there complaining that they can't use the N-word because they'll get fired from their jobs or get their asses whooped or something like that. Bam. You know those idiots who sit there and say, well, black folks use it all the time. You're hearing them rap. Why can't we use it? I mean, you can use it anytime you want to. I'm quite sure when you were around your white friends who use that word a lot, y'all can say that you y'all can say that so many times. I'm quite sure folks who get caught up by a, by black folks and you're in your car or something like that, somebody makes a bad move, I'm quite sure that there's plenty of white folks who sit there and say, nigga, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not quite sure the damn niggas can't drive. I mean, so I'm quite sure y'all can use that. You just got to learn when to use it and when not to use it. If you go down to some folks in some places in Mississippi or Alabama or Louisiana or Texas or Ohio or Pennsylvania or California or Spokane, Washington, I mean, you can use that all day, all night, no problem. It's just being smart for when you're using it, right? So, hey, I, I got no problem if white folks want to use that word. Just don't say it around me. Just don't say it around anybody that's going to get your ass whooped. That's going to get you in. That's going to get you in peril because I ain't going to be there to stop you. But um, yeah. So that would be funny. That would be hilarious. Wouldn't that be something if you know we heard that uncut version of what's going down with the NBA? 
in terms of, you know, the language that they use. Now, don't worry, that N-word was only, it's only going to be thrown out by black players. So, you know, that, it, it would be crazy. It would be like, wow, eye-opening if, you know, you're watching the Boston Celtics, you know, uncut version, and, you know, Gordon Hayward's on the break with Kemba Walker, and, you know, Gordon Hayward yells out to Kemba, say, nigga, give him the ball, I'm open. Now, that would be something. That <laughs> That, Mr. Education Reform, that would be something. I'm joking. I'm not saying that Gordon Hayward does that, but that would be something. <laughs> Say, nigga, I'm open. Give the ball. So, so it would be like, that would really be something, man. So, but, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just, again, really enjoying what's going down in the NBA in terms of, you know, the way they present the game, the way that the game is being played. It's been, it's been really a joy. And I really enjoyed it so far. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So doggone glad that you could be with us. Again, the games have been great. The NBA game since the resumption of the season has have been great. Been played with great intensity, effort, high skill level. I remember what the day, the game yesterday between Milwaukee and Dallas. Jeez, that was a good game. You had the first game of the uh, resumption of the season, New Orleans and Utah. That was a that was a good game. Milwaukee and Houston, that was a good game. Portland and Boston, that was a good game. Houston and Dallas, that was a good game. Very entertaining game. It was, you know, as a much more, it was a much higher level than summer league basketball than the NCAA tournament. I mean, when we're speaking about what did it kind of refer to, I heard references of it's somewhere like summer league basketball or something like the NCAA tournament type of feel. And, for me, it's a lot different. Again, it's a much higher level of basketball than watching Summer League. You got the Vegas Summer League out here. You got the, uh, for a while, you had the Orlando Summer League for a little while. You had the um, uh, Summer League that was up in Utah. In Orlando, you didn't have anybody at all. I mean, they are, there weren't any uh, fans in attendance. Good attendance for the Vegas Summer League, but still, I mean, it was in the summer, so again, that's where you draw the comparisons and such. It's a much higher quality of basketball. I mean, watching the summer leagues in Orlando and the others, there's only a certain amount of games you can watch because, quite frankly, the basketball is not very good if you compare it to NBA-level basketball. Again, I mainly watch the summer leagues for the viewing of the uh, players that were highly drafted, see how they're acclimated, see how they're coming into shape, watching a couple of Washington Wizards games just to see who's going to be on the team, watching their first-round draft pick, kind of getting an idea. But when you're speaking about a 12-, 15-man roster, roster in Summer League, how many people, how many players are going to really be invited to camp? Maybe two, three at the very most, excluding the uh, first-round draft pick, the second-round draft pick. So, for the most part, you're really not watching that team. A lot of those guys are also going for selves. If they're not going to be having the ability to make the team that they're on right now when they get out there and play. I mean, there's scouts from all corners of the world looking to see what type of talent. So they might not make the team, but based on the summer league performance, they might get a nice offer in Italy. They might get an offer to go over to China and play. They might get an offer to go to Hungary or Turkey or another uh, pro league overseas where they can make good money and have the experience of living overseas and becoming more worldly and becoming more mature and, and those type of things. So, but for the, so to compare that to the basketball that's being played right now at the NBA level to compare this level and the stakes and everything to summer league basketball on a normal basis, I really don't see it. And again, it's much different 
as far as watching what's going on right now with the resumption of the NBA season, much different than the NCAA tournament. Fans are not one of the, the fans of the stand. For if you're speaking about the first two games, not too many of those fans. I mean, that might be something. The level of play in the tournament is not nearly as high. It's not a single elimination. So for me, it's just been something that's different. It's something that's unique. It's something that I only want to see once, but it's something that um, I'm really enjoying. And I'm really glad to see the players of consequence coming in in great shape and ready to play. There hasn't been a Vin Baker situation. There hasn't been a Sean Kemp situation where because of the layoff, they went out and didn't pick up a basketball. They didn't stay in shape at all. So they came back 25, 30, 40 pounds overweight. Derek Favors, a couple of others, might not be in the greatest shape. Zion Williamson, another guy who I thought would be in much better shape than he is. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But for the most part, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, Paul George, Damian Lillard, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kyle Lowry, all of these guys who are going to be critical, who are going to play a major role on how well their teams do going to the playoffs. They came back in shape, ready to get into high-level NBA basketball playing shape. You can't do anything in terms of what the four months brought in terms of you know, getting ready to hit the ground running at the level that you need to be in with only eight games in the regular season, then you move on to the playoffs. It's just impossible. But you're using those eight games to get yourself into better basketball playing shape, high-level NBA basketball playing shape, not running up and down the court in a exhibition or in a, you know, gym run type situation. You know, these guys came back to where the conditioning is not going to be a problem. They're leap that they're going to make from being in good shape, elite shape to basketball playing shape is going to be very quick. And again, once the playoffs start starting next Monday, you know, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, PG, AD, Kyle, Pascal, Siakam, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker has come back and he's looked good even though he's on a minute restriction. James Harden has come back looking well. Russell Westbrook has come back looking great. So, it's going to be nice that there won't be any, you know, discussions about, well, you know, this guy let his team down because he didn't take the four months that they had off really seriously in terms of getting himself into basketball playing ready shape. I'm glad that that's not going to be a discussion. These, this is, uh, these guys have no excuses. They didn't make excuses and they took advantage of it. And I'm glad that those guys did. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. For the first two weeks, the best players in the bubble, who have you been impressed with? Who have you been like, all right, there we go. And I'm not talking about guys like Michael Porter Jr. I'm not talking about guys like Deontay Ayton. I'm not talking about those type of guys. I'm talking about oh, who have clearly gotten better during this time off, during this hiatus. They've come back and they look pretty good. But in terms of the players who are going to be the star players, the players who are going to be the cornerstones for their team, the cornerstones, the cornerstones and cornerstones of their teams to get them to a championship or to maximize their potential to do as well as they can. The best players that I've seen in the bubble so far have been number one, Damian Lillard. I mean, for the first four games against Memphis, Boston, Houston, and Denver, that man, that guy was lights out. Averaging 31 points a game, he made 21 three-point shots, he made 11 three-pointers against Denver, he was averaging 11 assists per game, he was averaging 42 and a half minutes per game. Forget what happened with the uh, LA Clippers, I'll get into that a little bit later also, but Dollar Dame came out 
firing, man. Against Denver, my man scored 45 points, 13 of 21 from the field, 11 of 18 from the three-point range. He had 12 assists. He played 41 minutes. In fact, leading up into that Clipper game, and I thought he played pretty well. I was catching a little bit of the Philadelphia 76er game this afternoon. This is being recorded on a Sunday evening, August 9th. 2020 bookmark it but watching a little bit of the Philadelphia Portland game got a little disinterested when Joel Embiid went out don't know exactly what his deal is they said it was an ankle injury we don't know I'll get into the Philadelphia 76ers a little bit later but really the only subpar game he had was against the Clippers and Houston against Houston he shot six for 19 from the field and you know he Again, against the Clippers, he missed two free throws that would have given Portland the lead in the closing seconds in L.A., and he missed a three-pointer that would have tied the game. But for the most part, Damian Lillard has been spectacularly good. So that's one guy who I was talking about, thinking to myself, saying, yeah, man, Dollar Dame is doing work. Devin Booker. Now, how about this, man? When you're speaking about Devin Booker, Phoenix is still undefeated. Now, whether they're going to make it to the number eight playoff spot or whether they're going to make it to the number nine playoff spot to try to play the play-in game. We don't know. They've got to leapfrog New Orleans, who's plummeting. They've got to uh, leapfrog uh, Portland. They have to leapfrog San Antonio. So they still have some work to do. But for the Phoenix Suns, who many people, including myself, said, why are they even there? Teams like Washington and Phoenix, they shouldn't be here. This is ridiculous. Well, Devin Booker has taken great advantage of it. For the first three games since the season resumed, really four games, he's averaging 28 points, six and a half assists, making nearly 40% of his seven three-point attempts per game. He hit the game-winning shot against the Clippers this past week in one of the games of the week. For the first time, here's the thing, though, when we speak about it, and it really didn't hit me. If you're a Phoenix Suns fan, even if Phoenix would have gone 0 and whatever, or even if Phoenix would have underperformed when coming back in the bubble. This is why I say, you know what, man? Bill Simmons made this point about Devin Booker not playing on the uh, international team this summer. And it really sparked my thought process into the opinion that I'm coming up right now with it. Because, you know, Phoenix playing in this situation, this is the first time in Devin Booker's career that he's actually playing for something. At the Phoenix Suns, as a professional. I mean, since he was drafted in 2015, Phoenix has lost 280 games. They have never been in any type of games of consequence since Booker has become a pro. And when you're speaking about the Phoenix Suns organization, that's one of the most dysfunctional NBA franchises in recent years and under the past 16 years of ownership under Robert Starver. I mean, we're talking about the Suns franchise during that time that's been through nine coaches, eight general managers, you had Steve Kerr, you let him go, you had Mike D'Antoni, you let him go, or Mike D'Antoni, you let him go. The Suns hasn't, haven't made the playoffs since 2010. They had not had a winning season since 2014. And when you're speaking about the past four seasons where Devin Booker has been your guy, and you're starting to, and you're wanting to, and you're trying to, and you're vying to, to build a program, build a franchise, build a winning team, build a winning culture around them, I mean, for the past four seasons, they've had a combined record of 87 wins and 241 losses. That's the winning percentage of, you betcha, 26%. 
You're speaking about an organization they have that dual GM bullshit, which was nonsense. You're talking about missed opportunities to improve the team when you drafted Josh Jackson, number four, who's no longer with the team because he was a bust. You drafted Dragon Bender, who's number four, not not Ivan Drago, no relation, but Dragon Bender, number four, the next year, he's no longer with the team. So this can be a situation for Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns in general, especially with DeAndre Ayton, who has played much better since the season resumed in the bubble. I mean, this is something here. In terms of, there's, there's some embers in terms of the Phoenix Suns organizations rising from the ashes. And they're going to be led by Devin Booker. And they're going to be led by DeAndre Ayton. And it's good that the Suns are in this position to have Devin Booker be this guy and playing for games that mean something. They're actually in a playoff race. Now, even if the Phoenix Suns don't make the playoffs, at least now you can have that experience for your guys who you're trying to build around, namely Booker and, uh, and, and Aiden. Because Devin Booker is one of these guys where people are kind of sleeping on a little bit. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. When I'm speaking about you know the next generation of really good players and the next generation of players who's going to put the league up on his shoulders and carry it, take the torch from the great players of right now and lead it to the next generation. I always mention Luka and I mention Zion and I mention um, Giannis and I mention these guys, but when you're speaking about players that are like 25 and under, who are going to be the superstars in the 2026, 2020 season, 2028 seasons, I mean, we're speaking about Luka. We're speaking about Jason Tatum. We're speaking about Jalen Brown. We're speaking about Donovan Mitchell. We're speaking about Zion. We're speaking about Trey Young. We're speaking about John Morant. We're speaking about Carl Anthony Towns. We're speaking probably, possibly, Jaron Jackson Jr. We're maybe speaking about Christoph Porzingis. Devin, Devin Booker has the ability to be right there. And I'm not talking about on the outside looking in. If we're speaking about the 10, 12 best players in the league during that time, Devin Booker shouldn't be number 14, number 15, number 20. Devin Booker has the ability, I think, to be right up there in the top 10. But again, if you're not playing for anything, I remember that nonsense where he had, oh man, he played the Celtics on the road. Hmm, what did he have? Like 70 points or some nonsense like that? And Earl Watson was the coach. Earl Watson was once married to Joy Reid, and now they're divorced. Or Earl Watson, man, what what's up with that? Are you? Woo. But anyway, um, yeah. So Devin Booker and the Suns were playing in Boston, and this was kind of near the end of the season. And Booker was just going nuts. He had a good first quarter. He had a good second quarter. He had a good third quarter. The only problem was Boston was blowing them out. So near the end of the game. They were trying to get Booker as many points as possible. So it was kind of like when Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points against the New York Knicks. That situation. It was sort of kind of like when David Robinson scored 71 points at the end of the season against the L.A. Clippers, Donald Sterling's L.A. Clippers, when they were trying to get David Robinson the scoring title. Which means they made the game sort of a farce because they were fouling a lot and Booker was taking crazy shots. and It was just kind of like just seeing what they can do to try to get Booker his points. There was no flow. There was no there was no situation where Phoenix was trying to win the game. I mean, at the time, they were down 20, 30 points to the Celtics. They were up there fouling the Celtics, putting them on the line so they could have another opportunity to get the ball to Devin Booker so he could shoot so he could score more points. And at the end of the game, where when he 
got that milestone. I forgot if he's... I don't know what he... I'm just going to throw out the number 70. I think that's what it was. At the end of the game, these guys are in the locker room celebrating like they just won the NBA championship. They're up there with champagne. They're taking team photos and 70 points. And yeah, this, that, and the other. is like, you guys realize that y'all got blown out by 25, right? What the fuck are y'all doing celebrating some guy scoring 70 points? Big fucking deal. You got blown out. Who gives a fuck how many points they scored? And you can make the argument, well, you know, hey, the season was over. Phoenix is no good anyway. Well, a milestone for Devin Booker, who I believe at the time was like 19 or 20 or 21 years old. He was really young. So, wow, what an accomplishment. No, that's not building good habits. No, that's not building anything. That's loser mentality. That's not how you build a franchise player. That's not how you build a champion. That's not how you build a championship-type player. If you're talking about players who have won championships, and you're speaking about players who have been focal points of, or, or the main reason why those teams have won championships, whether it's Tim Duncan or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird or Bill Russell or Kobe or Shaq or Tim Duncan or LeBron, I mean, my goodness gracious, you think they were sitting up there cheering and applauding like, oh yeah, I scored a lot of points, but my team got blown out in a year where we're going to be finishing dead last again and near the bottom of the league. That's not how you do some shit like that. Can you imagine Larry Bird doing that bullshit? Could you imagine Kareem Abdul-Jabbar doing that bullshit? Could you imagine LeBron James doing that bullshit? I don't care how young they were. Could you imagine um, an ownership or a franchise that was run by Pat Riley? Could you imagine the reaction of Pat Riley if he saw some nonsense like this? Like like uh, what the Phoenix Suns were doing? Could you imagine the embarrassment... Could you imagine the utter rage that Pat Riley would be having if he saw the Phoenix Suns acting like that and playing the game of basketball like that? Come on, man. Could you imagine R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich allowing some nonsense like that? I mean, so it's all about building good habits. So for the first four or five years or ever since Devin Booker was drafted by the Phoenix Suns, that's what he's been a part of. Dysfunction. Ridiculous. Unprofessionalism. Clownerism. So it's good to see, A, they brought in Monty Williams, who's a really good coach. I thought he did an excellent job when he was the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. He brought Anthony Davis on very well, brought Anthony Davis along very well in the beginning stages of his NBA career. So I thought that um, the hiring of Monty Williams was the right choice. I think now, I mean, he's never going to live up to Luka Dantich, but... I mean, it could be a situation where, and I'm not saying that Luka Doncic is Michael Jordan, and I'm not saying that DeAndre Ayton is, is uh, Akeem Olajuwon. What I am saying is that Ayton could be part of a franchise or part of a, of a team for the next seven, eight years that is one of the better teams in the NBA, which could lessen the impact of not drafting Luka Dantich to where you say, well, damn, yeah, we could have gotten Luka, but you know what? DeAndre Ayton was a very important player for us winning a championship and making us one of the elite teams in the Western Conference over the past five or six or seven years. That's what I'm talking about. Don't sit there and start rolling your eyes and dropping your mouths and cursing and yelling at me and calling me all kinds of names because I said that Luka Dantich was Michael Jordan and I said that 
DeAndre Ayton is the next Akeem Olajuwon. No, what I'm saying is just like when Jordan was drafted number three and Houston was drafted number one, the only reason why Houston doesn't get barbecued and filleted like Portland did for making the selection of Olajuwon over Jordan was because of Olajuwon going down as one of the top 10 centers in NBA history and the fact that with him at the center, the Rockets won two NBA championships and made the finals two other times. So, yeah, was Houston, if, you know, hindsight, if we knew what Jordan was going to be, would the Houston Rockets probably draft Jordan and the Portland Trailblazers draft the Keevan Olajuwon and Sam Bowie never being drafted at all? Yeah, but it wasn't that egregious of a mistake in terms of the Rockets passing on Michael Jordan because of what Akeem Olajuwon brought to the franchise. In this comparison of what I'm doing right here is the fact that, yeah, are the... If we know now what we know now, would the Phoenix Suns draft Luka Dantich over DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, probably if you gave him true serum. But DeAndre Ayton also has the opportunity because of the skills and the impact that he can have to lessen the blow of the fact that the Phoenix Suns organization did not draft Luka Dantich and instead drafted DeAndre Ayton. Uh, Vlade Divac and the Sacramento Kings, on the other hand, those are the ones who are playing the role as Sam Bowie and the Portland Trailblazers because Marvin Bagley Jr., uh, no, not happening so far. That guy could please stop getting injured and actually be able to play, I don't know, more than 65 games in the season and actually do some things. Whew. Yeah, Sacramento. And you have Vlade Divac not drafting Luka Doncic. Rumor had it because he was scared that his father would be another... Uh, Lonzo, uh, LeVar Ball. Oy, 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 oy. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, so far, speaking about what's going down in the NBA and the resumption of the season, the players that have really stood out to me in terms of, wow, these guys have been playing really great basketball. Number one has been Damian Lillard. The other one has been Devin Booker. And of course, what can we say about TJ Warren? Who saw this coming, right? TJ Flippin' Warren, the guy's averaging 39 points a game, making 65% of his shots in the first few games. He scored 53 points against Philadelphia the first game back, which made everybody say, say what? And of course, everybody was killing Philadelphia about, man, how could you let TJ Warren go off for 53 points? Well, I mean, look, man, this is a guy who, I don't know. I don't know what to make of TJ Warren. He played well against the Lakers on Saturday. He scored 39 points on 15 to 22 shooting from the field, nailed the Hit the nail in the coffin three-pointer, left side of the key. Scored Indiana's final seven points in a 116-111 win against L.A. Man is shooting 60.5% from the field. T.J. Warren, 55% from the three-point line. T.J. Warren, where in the hell did this come from? But you're speaking about the first six years of his career. This is a guy who averages only 15 points, shooting 50% and 36%. From the three-point line. All of a sudden now, he's a combination of George Gervin and Kawhi Leonard and Michael Jordan and and Kobe Bryant? What the hell is all this about? Man, if he was playing baseball right now, if he was playing in the Major League Baseball, and this was around the 1990s, he would be accused of uh, taking PEDs or something like that. They'd be comparing him to Brady Anderson in terms of, well, where in the hell did this come from? T.J. Warren? Yeah, we knew that he was good. Yeah, we knew that he could score. But we didn't know he was this damn good. <laughs> Shit. So I think the big move that was made, what Nate McMillan was talking about on why 
uh, Warren's scoring average has gone up was because instead of playing the small forward position because uh, all-star DeMontis Sabonis is injured, is not in the bubble right now with the team that now, now Warren has to switch to be playing power forward. So this is a situation where, you know, he's not going to be, he, he's a small ball forward in today's NBA uh, basketball. He's, he's a, he's a small forward in size. Normally, you know, he's six, seven, doesn't have a lot of great athleticism. He's not going to beat you with athleticism, but he's athletic enough. And he's sort of kind of like Pascal Siakam or even a time before that, someone like a Cedric Sabalos to where playing now the power forward position, you don't have to run any plate for him. You don't have to do any isos for him. I mean, this is a guy, if you watched him play, he got his points in the flow of the game. And there were very few shots in terms of possessions in terms of he was forcing the ball or you thought that was a bad shot or something like that. I mean, he was um, he was just getting in the flow. He scored 18 in the first quarter. He didn't score any in the second quarter against the Lakers. But in the third and fourth quarters, especially the fourth quarter, he was terrific. So he was getting points off of offensive rebounds. He was getting points off of uh, penetration moves. He was getting some good looks uh, from uh, Malcolm Brogdon. who was feeding him well. He was getting some good looks from Victor Oladipo. So it was a situation where it was like those sneaky. You, you didn't realize that he had that many points. It was just like a layup here, jump shot here, three-pointer here, foul shot here, layup here, jump shot here. And it's like the next thing you know, he had 15 points. And I'm like, well, Really? Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's like none of it was forced. None of it was, oh, he got lucky. None of it was, well, you know, he just, you know, he had a great shot against good defense. TJ Warren could always score. I mean, I saw him play in high school because when he was being recruited, it came down to Georgetown and NC State. So, you know, I've been following TJ Warren in terms of how good he's been since he was a five star recruit in high school when he went to prep school. So he scored around 15 a game when he was at NC State, but he was more of a guy, he was a crafty scorer. Again, he wasn't using his athletic ability. You know, this wasn't a situation where he was jumping over people or he was blowing by people or or anything like that. He was just a guy who was just a natural scorer. And um, drafted by Phoenix, traded by Phoenix, and now he's doing well with Indiana. I don't I don't know how long this can last. Everybody's now the situation or now the discussion is is tj is this the new tj warren or is this just you know the having a good couple of weeks tj warren and we're gonna take what's been going on for two weeks in the bubble are we going to kind of see what's going on with him in terms of his career for his first few you know for his first five six years so we'll see we'll see i think tj warren is not as good in terms of him going forward i mean tj warren is not going to be a guy who's going to be averaging 30 points a game all right we understand get that yes but i still I do think Warren has the type of game to be, hmm, what can I say? I guess you could say, what do you think? I think probably something like a Pascal Siakam light, don't you think? Someone like that. I, I, I think that Siakam has the size. I think Siakam has the athleticism to get buckets in more ways than Warren. And the reason why I'm mentioning Siakam is because I think those are the styles that are kind of similar. So, I mean, he's not going to be he's not going to be playing iso ball. He's not going to be having the Luka Doncic role where he's going to be having the ball at the center court and get high pick and rolls and kind of navigate the uh, offense from there. He ain't he ain't uh, someone like a um, Giannis Antetokounmpo who's going to be you know, using uber athleticism to get to the foul line and get to the rim a lot. And he's a good finisher, but again, he doesn't have the athleticism 
to finish on a consistent basis like a like a Giannis can. Um, you know what? I maybe see something in far as if we can move this along with his career. I'll say it. Think I should say it? I'll say it. I think TJ Warren is moving toward a Kawhi Leonard type player. Not saying that he's good. Not saying he's going to be better than Kawhi. But I'm saying from a, um, I'm saying from a offensive standpoint. You know, San Antonio before Kawhi became the man. Kawhi wasn't the man that we saw offensively his first couple of seasons with the San Antonio Spurs. He was a good scorer, but, you know, you had Ginobili, you had Parker, you had Duncan still, I mean, scoring buckets. So, you know, as far as an option is concerned, the first couple of years, first three or four years, Kawhi was, or first three years, Kawhi was a guy who, what, fourth, third in terms of who we need to take care of? It wasn't until, you know, his ascension and the fact that Duncan's descension, and along with Parker and Ginobili, that Kawhi resumed that role and expanded his offensive game. Now, we're speaking about T.J. Warren, a guy who's like 25, 26 years old, so we're not talking about someone in his early 20s, so his maximum potential is not as huge as, say, someone like a Luka Dantich or uh, someone like a Pascal Siakam, who spent also three years, I believe, Siakam went to New Mexico State, but the point is, I think by the time Warren reaches his level in terms of how good he can be, he can be somewhat of a lesser Kawhi Leonard. And when I say a lesser Kawhi Leonard, I'm, talk, I'm talking about a guy who can be the focal point of the offense. Not the focal point of a team like Kawhi has been, but I think that uh, TJ can be that guy where you're looking at Top twenty, an all-star type player. I think that the um, I think that the ceiling for T.J. Warren in his game moving forward. So I don't think we're going to see the fifteen point per scorer shooting fifty percent, thirty six percent from the three point line. T.J. Warren. I don't think that we're going to be seeing the T.J. Warren that so far has been one of the best players in the NBA bubble. But I think we are going to see a much more improved T.J. Warren moving forward and the guy who's going to be making all-star teams and the guy who's going to be averaging, I say, 22 to 24 points a game and the guy who's going to be a really good number two guy for a basketball team that's going to be competing for elite status in the NBA. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's going down in the NBA, the resumption of the league, feeling good, feeling real good, but I'm feeling hungry. See, 30 as I'm recording this, damn it, damn it. For those who don't live in Las Vegas and they talk about, yeah, Vegas never sleeps. Yeah, Vegas is always open, bullshit. <laughs> not, not if you live off the strip, <laughs> shoot. It's just as American as everybody else, as in everything as far as getting something to eat, everything closes around 8 or 9 o'clock. So, you know, it's either pizza or it's either fast food joints, because if you're looking for restaurants or anything like that, of course the restaurants are limited because of the COVID, but just in terms of, you know, trying to get something to eat, I was trying to get this done before like 7.30, 8 o'clock so I could, you know, maybe get some Chinese food or something. I don't know, man, because I don't want to get any... 
I had junk food this this afternoon. I don't want to get any more junk food, but I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm getting to be starving mode. And by the time I finish this podcast, I'm going to be really starving mode. And I don't want to go to, you know, Jack in the Crack or, you know, Mickey D's or anything like that. I want something halfway decent. So I don't know what I'm going to do. So it might be a pizza night for me. My fat ass is eating pizza. Jeez. Smart, really smart, you stupid son of a bitch. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about. So we talked about TJ Warren a little bit. We talked about Damian Lillard. We talked about Devin Booker. We talked about those guys in terms of players who have really been, you know, really been surprisingly good. Once the, I shouldn't say surprisingly because Dane's the man. So I'm talking about players of consequence who have come back, hitting the ground running, and has had a really good couple of weeks in terms of the uh, resumption of the NBA season. But the best player in the bubble so far is Larry Bird 2.0, man. Luka Doncic. This this son of a bitch can fucking play the game. <laughs> this guy can play the game of basketball, man. Brothers beware. <laughs> you know? Man, I remember when I was young and I was stupid. And, you know, at the time we were living in, you know, it was Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, right? And, you know, the brothers out there just couldn't take the fact that the white boy was the best player in the league. So they did everything humanly possible to try to trash Larry Bird. And being young and stupid as I was, I was sitting there going, yeah, Larry Bird ain't shit. <laughs> now, as you get older and you get a brain, you're like, what the fuck was I talking about? How dumb was I? It, hey, for a younger generation, I'm telling you right now, the brothers out there who want to sit there and talk about, you know, the NBA, the black man game and everything like that. This NBA for the next, I don't know, man, for the next, once LeBron says bye-bye, it's going to be run by a white boy. <laughs> Luka Doncic is the man. <laughs> I mean, uh, Saturday night. Did you see that game on Saturday night against Milwaukee? He outplayed the reigning MVP, the out, the uh, reigning and maybe defending and probably repeat MVP, Giannis Adenokupo. Dallas beat Milwaukee in OT. Really good game, 136-132. Man, what a show that Luka Doncic put on, man. Uh, guy, can, mm, guy can play, man. The guy can play. You can, No, you, he might not jump out of the gym and he might not have LeBron athleticism and all that kind of stuff. The young man is 21 years old. I'm going to have to introduce him to my goddaughter because I'm not, I don't want to be working when I'm 55. I, I don't want to. I want someone that Luka money... My goddaughter needs who's an absolutely beautiful young lady. There's, I gotta hook, I gotta hook those two up, so I can get myself my place in Vancouver, or get my place in you know Madrid, get my you know yacht on the Champs Elysees, you know, or the the French Riviera, you know. I gotta get my place in Monaco, you know, because Luca is gonna be a rich, rich man, and then my beautiful goddaughter Sydney can become Sydney Doncic. Woo! Uncle Wendell's going to be paid. <laughs> my, uh, my, my brother, Mikel Davis, and Uncle Wendell are going to be paid getting some of that money. But, man, that guy was something. That guy is something else, man. Don't deny it. Do not, do not deny it. Already at 21 years old, top three, top four player in the game. 36 points, 14 rebounds, had a career-high 19 assists. He now has a league best 17 triple doubles this season. So this isn't this isn't a TJ Ward situation where, you know, he came into the bubble and just exploded, man. I mean, this is a guy who's been doing it now for going on about what a season and a half? 
I mean, per ESPN stats and info, Dallas shot 19 of 35 on potential assists by Luka Dantich, most of them being corner threes. And really, if you think about it, of those 35 three-point attempts that uh, Luka, set, Luka set up for him, what, about 24, 25 of them were just really, really, really good looks? I mean, only other Mavs player in the history of their franchises with 19 assist nights were Steve Nash and Jason Kidd. Yikes! Two Hall of Famers, two of the better point guards who's ever played the game. And what is Luka? He's a point forward, point guard, point player, basketball. There's no definition of what he does. He plays the point guard position, okay, but I don't. I, what do you what do you put him at? He's a basketball player because he could play the off guard. He could play the small forward if he needed to. He's a basketball player, and man, he's he's fabulous. He's fabulous. And no, this isn't something where it's kind of like I saw one game and just, you know, became enamored with him. I mean, he's been doing this again since the beginning of the season. I mean, they ran, Dallas ran high pick and rolls from the top of the key, extended. They let Doncic read what Milwaukee was doing, got into the got into the uh, paint plenty of times when Giannis or Brooke Lopez or somebody else came. The way he found the open man, the way he found the cutters, it's it's he's a genius. In terms of being a basketball player. He's a genius. He is a Mozart. He is a Beethoven. He is a James Brown. He is a Stevie Wonder. He is a Ray Charles. He is a Picasso. You know, he's a, he's a Denzel. He's a, you know, Humphrey Bogart. I mean, he's, he's a master craftsman. craftsman. And, he, and the man just turned 21 years old. And no, I'm not being like, you know, like caught up in the moment. The guy, you see it. I mean, he just does things that is just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's something that you're born with. Yeah, you don't you don't pick that up in terms of just watching basketball and going out on the playground. I mean, that's just something where it's just innate. You know, how can a blind man play a play a piano and put music together like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder? I mean, how can a man like Beethoven put together symphonies when he's deaf? How can Luca do what he does on the basketball court at that size? And at that intelligence level, just it's, it's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable, you know. So in the five games, again, just to say that I think Luca has been the best basketball player in the bubble, and it's not even close. In the five games in the bubble against Houston and the Clippers and Sacramento and Phoenix and Milwaukee, Dantich is averaging thirty-three and a half points per game on forty-eight percent shooting from the field. He's shooting twenty-three shots a game, so he's taking a good number. He's also averaging, by the way, 11 rebounds and 11 assists per game. He's had three triple doubles since the season resumed in five games. And this is something where he's not Ricky Davising his stats. You know, he's not padding his stats. Dallas needs every one of these points. They need every one of these assists. They need every one of their those rebounds. That 30-20-10 game that he had against Sacramento... They needed, that game went into overtime. Or I think it was a close game. They needed them. This wasn't something where they were up by 30 and they were just like, Luca, go ahead and get your stats. This wasn't a situation where Jordan, I forgot what year it was in the mid-80s where, you know, he was getting upset that Magic was getting lauded for triple-doubles. So he made it a point to uh, go out and I think he had like five or six triple-doubles in a row. And he would, after every timeout, go take a look at the stats to see what he needed to do in terms of getting that triple-double. This isn't something that Luca is doing. 
I mean, that's he. They they, they need all of these things. So, man, if I had to compare his game, I, this is the generational talent, man. This guy, if I mean, you know, hopefully he doesn't, you know, go butt button wild and do something stupid. I mean, hopefully he stays away from any type of vice or anything that could get him, you know, to lose his verb or to lose. I mean, I hope he doesn't become something like a Pete Maravich. I hope he doesn't become something like a Ralph Sampson in terms of, you know, some type of injury that's going to rob us of what could have been. I mean, I hope that he doesn't go the route of a Bill Walton. I mean, so it's, I'm just going to go on the assumption when I'm speaking about the plat when I'm you know speaking on the the reverence that I have toward Luka Doncic and what his potential can be as, as a guy who's going to be able to play with his type of game too that doesn't rely on athleticism but relies on smarts and the way that the NBA is now in terms of the load management and in terms of the way these guys can take care of themselves, if Luka commits himself to that in terms of maintaining and making sure that his body doesn't break down, you're talking about a guy who can play shit. The way technology is right now, the way this guy can play another 17 years. So based on that, this guy could go down, what, top five? I mean, Jordan, LeBron, Magic Bird, Wilt, Oscar, Bill Russell, Kareem. I mean, he, he, I don't, I don't know who's better than who in these discussions. I don't know. But when everything is all said and done in the year 2038, I mean, I mean, he's going to be able to sit down at the table with those guys. When they say, you know, the VIP sections of the greatest of the great, they're going to be saying his name, just along with LeBron and Bill and Oscar and Elgin Baylor and Bob Pettit and George Mikan and Kareem and those guys. I mean, Luca's going to be right there. And then as I mentioned before, when you're speaking about who's the greatest of all time, I don't get in those discussions. You shouldn't get in those discussions. Writers shouldn't get in those discussions. The only people who should have those discussions and make these lists and come up with who's better than who and this, that, and the other should be the players. You know, who's the greatest player of all time? I'll let Bill Russell. I'll let Michael Jordan. I'll let Magic Johnson. I'll let LeBron James. I'll let George Mikan. I'll let Wilt Chamberlain. I'll let all those guys figure that out. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know Wilt's dead. George is dead. I get it. I understand it. But what I'm saying is that when you're speaking about who should be making decisions about who's the greatest and who's better and than this, that, and the other, it should be coming from those guys who have actually played and those guys who have played at that level. Because I've never been at that level. You've never been at that level. Writers have never been at that level. Your homeboys have never been at that level. Your homegirls have never been at that level. Your girlfriend's never been at that level. Your husband's never been at that level. So it's like... <laughs> Let, let those guys decide who is greater than them. That should be the definitive, defining top 10. Coming from the top 10 greatest basketball players of all time by Michael Jordan, tops, trumps, everything. Did I say trump? Bleah, bleah, bleah. Sorry, hold on for a second. Bleah, bleah, bleah. Gotta wash my mouth off with soap, I cursed. So, yeah, so it's like Luca is gonna be right up there. It's got the athleticism and the genius of a Larry Bird in terms of Larry was not going to kill you with his uber athleticism. He was going to beat you with his skill. He was going to beat you with his mind. The first guy with that skill set at 6'9 to come on in and do what he was doing. So Luka has that type of game. I mean, Bill Simmons has said it many times. If Larry Bird was playing in, the, in this era of basketball, he would look like Luka Dantich. I definitely agree. 
He had the court vision, the understanding of a game like a, like a Jason Kidd with the height and size advantage of someone like a Magic Johnson. I mean, Magic could score five points a game and dominate the, and dominate the court. Jason Kidd could do the same thing. He didn't need the score. And because he never had a jump shot for most of his career, he didn't need it. But Jason Kidd could dominate a game, could dominate a season by averaging six points a game because of the way he controlled the game. Same thing with Luka Doncic. Luka's averaging close to what? I forget what he's averaging this year, like 27, 28, somewhere around there. But if Luka decided to say that, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead, I'm just going to focus on passing, distributing, doing some other things, he could still be just as or close to as dominant if he came out and was averaging 25, 30 a game. I remember watching Jason Kidd and following Jason Kidd when I was doing the Sports Talk Radio Show, KDUS, AM 1060, The Deuce, in Phoenix. I remember watching Jason Kidd play plenty of times. And there were times, I remember they played New Jersey once when he was with Phoenix. And he was shooting the ball like he was like Kobe Bryant or something like that in terms of just like, fuck it, I'm just firing. <laughs> I'm not passing the night, fellas, I'm shooting. So he went in the black mama Kobe Bryant mode. He put up like 30-something shots, but he scored like 45 points. Phoenix won the game, and I don't know what that was all about. Maybe it was just a situation. Maybe he was listening to my show back then and was sitting there listening to me talk about how Jason Kidd really can't score and he really needs to be a facilitator. And he was like saying, fuck you, Wendell Wallace. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, But that's uh, but, but Jason Kidd didn't win MVPs. Jason Kidd didn't become the one of the best point guards to have ever played the game because of his scoring prowess. It's because of what he did in terms of handling the game, managing the game, setting up others, making other players better, putting them in great situations. That's the same thing with Luka. So he has the same type of game as Jason Kidd, but he's doing it with the size of a Magic Johnson, 6'9 being Magic, 6'8 being Luka. So, and just about the same amount of athleticism too, if you think about it, between Magic and Luka also. So, it's just it's just unbelievable. He has the understanding and the patience of someone like Nikola Jokic. You've seen Jokic play for Denver, right? Does that guy ever look rushed? Does that guy ever look like he's in a hurry? Does that guy ever look impatient? That guy just takes his time. It's almost like it's almost like Oscar Robertson. Have you ever taken a look at um uh have you ever taken a look at YouTube clips of Oscar Robertson doing a thing? It's like and hearing the old folks describe how he plays, the old players who have played against him, is like Oscar was going to get to a spot. He was going to get there in his time, and he was just going to put that big ass in front of you, and he was going to turn around, and he was going to shoot, or he was going to facilitate, and he was going to get his 36 points and his, eight, and his 15 rebounds and his 12 assists and yell at the refs and yell at the teammates and be the man. That's the same thing with Nikola Jokic. Jokic is never a guy who's going to be sped up. Nikola's never going to let any player that's defending him speed him up or do something that he doesn't want to do the man is very patient it's the same thing with Luca. whether it's PG or whether it's Kawhi or whether it's one of the best defenders in the NBA who was ever guarding him they're not going to get Luca out of control they're not going to get Luca trying to speed up they're going to not they're not trying to they're not going to get Luca to do something that he doesn't want to do as far as as uh, basketball or athletic wise so it's like that's the brilliance that he has as a basketball player you know this is a, I don't I haven't talked about him like this in a while I haven't talked about an NBA player like this in a while really since LeBron I mean we're seeing such man the NBA is it's it's crazy right now when you think about it when you think about the potential of someone like a Zion and already you see 
what Luca had brought to the table. Man, the NBA, man. And now you're speaking about the pipeline where you can get players from all over the world who can play. I mean, this is not like Americans going overseas to play football and, you know, for the most part are just nothing more than complimentary players. Our best player in the game outside of a guy who was born in Akron, Ohio, and maybe James Harden and a couple of others was a guy who was born in Greece. Then you have a guy who's going to be ruling the NBA for the next 8 to 10 years who's from, what, Slovenia, Lithuania? Where was he from? I don't even know where Luke is from. Well, he ain't from Brooklyn. He ain't from Chicago. He ain't from Philadelphia. He ain't from D.C. He ain't from L.A. He ain't from America. And this man's going to go down. I mean, this guy is going to go down. When we think of the greatest international ball players of all time, what do we think about? Akeem? We think about um, Nowitzki? You want to put your money that Luka won't be right up there or maybe better when everything is all said and done? This guy's going to average a t- triple-double for the next eight to nine years. Everybody was talking about Michael, uh, Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double for a season. Oh, my goodness gracious, that's fantastic. I'm telling you right now, man, we could be looking up in the year 2029 and take a look at Lucas' uh, statistics. And we're talking about a guy who could average 25, 13, and 12 for the next eight to ten years. We're going to be talking about a guy who's going to have multiple seasons where he's going to be averaging a triple-double. He's going to make having a triple-double obsolete in terms of, wow, isn't that amazing? That's incredible. No, Luca is not only going to do it just once. As he gets better, as he gets older, as they build a better team around him, this guy's going to be averaging a triple-double. Why? Because he's, he has the ball in his hands all the flipping time. He's making decisions all the flipping time. Take a look at that roster for Dallas. There's no other point guard on that team besides J.J. Barrera. And Barrera is a guy who's more of a scorer than he is a facilitator. The only person on that team, but Trey, uh, Trey Burks is mainly a shooter. So the only the best player in terms of the decision and everything like that, best ball handler, best decision maker, best setup for the team is Luka. And the way Rick Carlisle uses him in that offense, he has the ball again all the all the time. So really, 80% of the time, I would guess, I don't have the statistics, but just watching him play over the last couple of years, I would say that shit, 70 to 75% of the Nuggets points are coming either on a Luka score, Luka being fouled, getting to the free throw line, Luka finding an open man for a score. And I bet you another 10% of the points that the Mavericks score are based on hockey assists from Luka to where, you know, he penetrates, kicks it over to the corner, you know, moves the defense around. They pass it over to another guy for a wide open shot and he scores or he makes something happen. So everything as far as that offense is concerned with Dallas is centered around Luka Doncic. So for him, it doesn't matter if he goes two for 18 in the first half or some something ridiculous like that. He's still going to have the ball in his hands. And for the 40, 34, 35 minutes that he's on the court, he is going to be responsible for either getting his teammates involved or scoring the ball himself. And once he becomes a little bit more mature and once he becomes a little bit more familiar with the NBA game, there's going to be some nights where he's like, okay, I got to go for 50 tonight. Oh, they're playing me to pass? Okay, I'll just go ahead and I'll just hit layups after layups and go to the foul line like 20 times tonight. Oh, they're going to be coming and converging on me every time I get to the middle of the court? By, by, by the time I get to the foul line? Cool, that's okay. I'll just pass to what's 
uh, Seth Curry, Seth Curry, or I'll pass to uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., or I'll just pass to uh, Porzingis for an open shot. Oh, okay, you know what? I'll go down in the post tonight. You know, I'll dribble it down, go on that pick and roll, take my place down on the block. They come over and double-team me. Okay, I'll hit, uh, I'll find somebody, Finney Smith, a cutter for a basket. That's cool. So either way you play me, you might hold me to 15 points, but that's okay. I'm going to get 22 assists and grab 14 rebounds. That's fine. That's Luca, man. That's what he's going to be doing for the, again, for the next, shit, 12, 15 years, man. Within the next five years, I'm telling you right now, man. I am telling you right now, Scott Skiles holds the record for most assists in the game. I think it's 32, 30, something like that. I don't know. But he's going to break that record. He's going he's gonna to have a game where he's going to have like 31 assists, 18 points, and 14 rebounds. I'm telling you, within the next five years, more than once, he's going to have a triple-double where it's going to be a 20-20-20. That's the way his game is set up. That's the way it is. And that's how good he is. Man, when I saw that game between Milwaukee and Dallas on Saturday, and I saw Luka versus Giannis, ooh, man, you know what I was thinking about? The best individual rivalry the game has had since maybe the 80s, the potential. When you're speaking about Giannis and Luka. Luca's 25, Adenokupo is, uh, no, Luca Dantich is 21, sorry. Adenokupo is 25. Giannis has been, has been in the league for seven years, Luca's been in the league for two, but, so they might not have the synergy of Magic and Bird coming in at the same time, even though when they came into the league in 1979, Bird was a few years older than Magic. Um, but, you know, so there's a four, three, four-year gap in age between Dantich and Adenokupo. But, man, that's you're speaking about Milwaukee right now being the best team in the Eastern Conference. They should be the best team in the Eastern Conference for the next two to three years. They're all capped out. I mean, if they don't make the finals this season, I don't know what they're going to do because they re-signed Brooke Lopez. They got to sign Giannis to a multi... They got to you know, sign uh, Giannis to a, a max contract. They signed Chris Middleton to a um, max contract. They signed Eric Bledsoe to a big contract, so there's there's no more room. There's no more room for them to retool, and I don't think the contracts of Middleton and Lopez are tradable. So the team that you have now with Milwaukee, with Giannis, that supporting cast, that's what you're going to be riding with for the foreseeable future. Now, I, I think that Giannis, again, he's going to get the max contract, you know, whenever he comes up for free agency. I don't think that Giannis is going to be going anywhere, as I mentioned before, on another pod. I don't think this is a guy who's looking to go to New York or Chicago or L.A. playing for the Lakers. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a guy that's looking to, you know, build his brand at the number one thing for him in his career. Not saying that those who, I'm not saying that you can't do both. LeBron has proven that you can be awesome, live up to your potential, and, you know, do things off the basketball court in terms of you making money to where it ain't hindering yourself. Shaquille O'Neal did that. Kobe Bryant did that. Chris Paul did that. There's been many NBA superstars who've been able to juggle building a brand, building a strong brand, becoming a public figure, and becoming one hell of a basketball player. But I think Luka, excuse me, but I think that Giannis is the type of guy that's like, you know, first and foremost, I want to play basketball. I'm not interested to go to a LA market or go to a big time market so I can quote unquote build my brand. I mean, I can build my brand in Milwaukee. 
Jordan built his brand in Chicago, right? He didn't need L.A. He didn't need um, he didn't need L.A. or Chicago to get that done. If you're a superstar, you're a superstar. This there's something that's called cable, <laughs> to where guess what? You know if uh, you know folks in New York and D.C. and Los Angeles and other major markets, they can watch Milwaukee Bucks basketball game anytime they want to. Thank goodness. So Giannis does not need to go to them. They can go to him, the big companies, if he wants to build his brand. He doesn't have to go to a big market to do that. So Milwaukee looks like a team led by Giannis who's going to be an elite basketball team in the Eastern Conference for years to come. Luka, on the other hand, is playing in the Western Conference where you know you still have the situation where you have the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. They're still in their prime and young enough to where they could be an elite franchise for the foreseeable future. You still have LeBron, even though at 35 years old, still one of the top two players in the NBA, along with Anthony Davis, who we all forget is easily a top 10 player in the NBA. You have a team like Denver, which is as a good a duo in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. You still have Daladame out there in Portland who could be a threat. How about uh, Yusuf Nurkic, the way that he's come back? I, I was a little bit concerned about, you know, everybody was talking about, yeah, him and Zach Collins are going to come back and Portland's going to be the team that could give the Lakers fits and this, that, and the other. And I was kind of like, wait a minute, you do realize that the injury that uh, Nur- uh, Yusuf Nurkic uh, had, that was pretty gruesome. I mean, that wasn't just a sprained pinky or a twisted ankle. I mean, that was a pretty, pretty severe injury. Enough to where it might take him a year or two to finally just mentally get over, get back to where he was before. But he's come out and he's he's looked great. He's looked great. So you add him, you add Zach Collins, you add um, CJ and uh, Lillard into the mix. I mean, that's another team that could give Dallas a lot of trouble. Now... Luca has Christoph Porzingis to play with. They have an awesome coach, an elite coach in they have an elite coach in Rick Carlisle, and they have a pretty aggressive ownership in terms of uh, you know trying to build a winner with Mark Cuban. So while Milwaukee can still be up there, you know, competing for championships in the East. Possibility that um, the Mavericks might not be ready just yet with the team that they have around them and the team that they could potentially build for another two to three years. But um, you know, so we're when was the last when was the first time that Magic and Bird played in the NBA Finals? It was nineteen eighty four, right? Eighty three, eighty four season. And we see eighty seventy nine eighty the championship seventy nine eighty the Lakers beat the Philadelphia seventy sixers eighty eighty one Boston over at Houston eighty one eighty two Philadelphia uh, Philadelphia losing to the Lakers eighty two eighty three fo 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 Philadelphia beat the Lakers four zero so eighty three eighty four yeah so that was the first matchup between Bird and Magic so they were in the league what four or five years before they finally got an opportunity to finally face off in the NBA Finals so. This doesn't have to be in terms of the rivalry, in terms of trying to make similarities between Luka and Giannis, that potential rival, um, you know, similar to Bird and Magic. They got some time. They don't need to be meeting in the NBA Finals just yet. And once again, Luka's game and Giannis's game ain't going nowhere, foreseeing some type of horrible injury for the next three to four or five years. So there's some time. There's some time for those guys to uh, get it together. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. The, Shelf life for the overall dominance for the next 10 years, that advantage goes to Dantage over Adenakupo. You're speaking about 
Take, for instance, the 2030 season. Giannis is going to be 35. Luka's going to be 31. And you take a look at the physicality. And you take a look at the physical game that Giannis plays right now. The spins, the dips, the dunks, the, 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 you know, the, the maneuvering. How many times he gets hit on the, you know, he gets hit and goes to the floor. The, 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 that type of game that he has. I mean, Luka is pretty much ground-based. So in terms of the wear and tear that could happen, it could, um, it, I, I say that uh, it's going to be Luka. It's going to be Luka. So what a player that guy is, man. And what a winner. What a winner. I mean, his first, his last three professional seasons, he was the EuroLeague MVP with Real Madrid, which is a much better league. Whenever everybody's talking about, yeah, overseas basketball, ew. And let me tell you something, man, outside the NBA, the uh, EuroLeague, that's the second best league in the uh, in the world for playing basketball. He was a rookie of the year last season. He was named the starter in this year's NBA All-Star Games. He's in uh, serious consideration for the league MVP. You see Giannis, this, his story is also fabulous. Went from seven points and four rebounds per game as a rookie. Some guy who we couldn't even pronounce. Some guy who was what? I mean, I don't know how John Hammond, the GM for the Milwaukee Bucks, even took a flyer on him, man. I mean, you know, who, who, who was this guy? Some guy with this grainy film tape playing in a low-level league in Greece. But he went from some skinny, bony, <laughs> athletic guy to, you know, where he is now, the best player in the league. Maybe if you want to argue LeBron, I'll do that. And if you want to argue Luca, I'll do it. go ahead and do that. If you want to argue James Harden, yeah, I guess I'll kind of listen to you a little bit. But... Without question, he's one of the elite basketball players in the world today. If he wins the MVP, it wouldn't be a sham. It wouldn't be a disgrace. It wouldn't be a sham mockery. So he's made the All-Star game four straight seasons. He's one of the most popular players in the NBA. So each one has a fantastic story. So if they did meet in the NBA Finals, they could tell that story. TV execs and TV uh, directors and everybody else could tell a fantastic story about that. And for the... uh, for the for the American basketball player, y'all better wake up now. For grassroots basketball, come on now, come on. You're taking a look at it. This this is the first time ever in the history of the NBA that you're looking at two of the top five players in the game are not from America, and outside of football where it's kind of like, yeah, USA, USA, USA. I mean, we take our biggest pride in terms of sports is concerned in basketball, right? I mean, the baseball players, or Major League Baseball, yeah, you got Mike Trout, you got Bryce Harper and those guys, but for the most part, there's plenty of players of, uh, of Dominican uh, from the Dominican Republic and other uh, Latin American countries who can stake their claim in terms of baseball is our game. Yeah, it might have started in in the United States, but uh, we've kind of claimed it after a while in terms of the players of consequence, in terms of players of impact. You know, but Barry Bonds is not coming through that door, folks. Mike Trout isn't going to be able to last forever. And when you take a look at the quality of talent that's playing now in Major League Baseball, the Latino American countries can clearly say that, hey, you know what? This is our sport now. When you speak about the love of the game of baseball that's in those countries, it's not like here in America. Their love of baseball in those countries is similar to our love of football 
in this country. We don't love baseball. You know, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, bullshit. As far as baseball is concerned, that's the NFL, baby. America is NFL, NFL, NFL. It's not Major League Baseball. Despite the fact it's America's pastime. Bullshit, no it ain't. It's the NFL. So my point is, is that baseball is gone. That's been stolen from us in terms of, you know, our dominance in the in that sport. This only leaves us with football and basketball. I mean, hockey. I mean, you know, come on, hockey, please. But football is the only one. You know, our best, the best players in the game for football in the NFL is clearly, they're clearly American. And football, while it's not huge worldwide, in America, it's big. So there's not folks over in England. There's not folks over in Russia. There aren't folks over in Turkey. There aren't folks over in China. There aren't folks over in Australia who are looking looking to become the next Tom Brady or looking to become the next Lamar Jackson or looking to become the next Russell Wilson or looking to become the next Drew Brees or looking to become the next Khalil Mack or looking to become the next Aaron Donald or looking to become the next Jalen Ramsey. I mean, there, you, you can maybe get a few players from around the world who potentially down the road might do that but just in terms of if you take a look at the top 50 100 football player they all american and 10 years from now i'm quite sure that the high 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 majority of them are going to be american so football the nfl that's america man that is as mr ray once said in my seventh grade china uh, uh my seventh grade uh, science class that's america jack we ain't china this is america so you're talking about truly the sport of America, the United States. It's football. Well, it also used to be basketball. It used to be basketball. Now, thanks to the goddamn dream team, joking, but now, but because of players like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and David Robinson and the great Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and such, and those, you know, and it, having in the game of basketball itself being so great to play. Being so awesome to play. You don't need to have 15 other people to play the game of basketball. You don't need to have a bat and a ball and another person to play basketball. You don't need to have a lot of equipment to play basketball. All you need is a ball and a hoop. That's it. You don't need anybody else. So if you're a loner, if you're shy or whatever, just like Jerry West used to do, right? Jerry West was talking about when he was young man, he... He didn't want to be around people. He was a shy guy. So the only thing that kept me comfort was going out and playing basketball 12 hours a day every day. You know, just shooting. Just letting my imagination flow. Letting my imagination go. That's the beauty of basketball. That's why it's so, that's why it can translate all over the world. That's why it's so popular in so many countries. That's why so many people can play the game of basketball. Because you don't need a whole bunch of equipment. You don't need to be rich you don't need to have a lot of money in terms of to buy equipment and to buy jerseys and all those type of things you don't need to have 15 people or 10 people or nine people to play basketball you can have just your buddy to go one-on-one you can play two-on-two you can go out there by yourself and shoot you can go out there on a basketball court in the middle of nowhere and pretend that you're Steph Curry pretend that you're James Harden pretend that you're LeBron James pretend that you're Giannis Adenokupo and pretend that you're Luka Doncic that's even it's more convenient to play basketball even even more than football or aka soccer what we say over here in the sports so the game of basketball it's growing and with the influence of 
the NBA basketball players, it's going to continue to grow worldwide. And when it goes over to these other countries, and now these folks from their country see, like in Australia, when they see a Joe Inglis and a Patty Mills getting down, that's who they're going to emulate. When they see somebody from Luka Doncic's uh, country, that's who they're going to emulate. These guys, who these young kids from Greece, when they see Giannis Adenikupo, that's who they're going to emulate. Just like in Toronto, where they saw um, Steve Nash, they're going to emulate toward him. Just like in Germany, where they saw Dirk Nowitzki. Just like how huge the game of basketball is in Africa. We haven't even really tapped the surface of those unbelievable athletes from that continent. So... The NBA is very quickly, very, very, very quickly becoming a becoming a, a global game. And so our you know our hold of how great the NBA is is gonna be tested, man. Like it's our game, it's our game. No, it's not our game anymore. So what are you gonna do if you're grassroots? We're still head and shoulders above everybody else, but the gap is narrowing. It's been narrowing really since 1988. So we're talking about, what, 30-something years now? And it's continuing to narrow. You get more players from Spain. You get more players from Argentina. You get more players from all the seven different continents of the world. So one thing also that this potential rival between Luka and Giannis is going to do, is going to put American basketball on notice. That Guess what, man? The greatest rival could be a guy from Europe and a guy from Greece. Isn't Greece and Europe the same thing? I don't know. I don't know where Luke is from. I'm sorry. All I know is that boy can play some basketball. That man can play some basketball. But uh, it's it's enjoyable to watch him play basketball. It's His footwork is supreme. His moves are exquisite. Boy can play. The next, And I, I'll say this right now. If I had to start a team, it wouldn't be LeBron. It wouldn't be James Harden. It wouldn't be Giannis. The start the team right now wouldn't be Anthony Davis. Wouldn't be definitely wouldn't be Russell Westbrook. Wouldn't be Kyrie or Kevin Durant. I'm as of right now. You give me the first pick in the NBA redistribution draft. My number one pick, without question, would be Luka Doncic. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down, getting down, mainly talking about the NBA here on the podcast today. In the background, as I record this podcast in my humble town home here in northwest Las Vegas, Nevada, on a hot evening out here in the desert, on my uh, screen that I'm... And I'm watching as I'm doing this podcast, and I guess maybe this is because I'm just going off in these tangents, is I'm watching Game 6 of the 1985 NBA Finals, Western Conference Finals. No, Game 5 of the NBA Western Conference Finals between the Houston Rockets and the Los Angeles Lakers. This was the shot where... 
the uh, Ralph Sampson hit that ridiculous shot pass from Robert Reed to um, eliminate the Lakers. Four games to one, where they went to the, no, it's nineteen eighty five. No, this is nineteen eighty six. Eighty four, eighty five. Lakers won. So nineteen eighty six. I don't know, man. When you're old, what? Come on, these years run together. But the nineteen eighty six NBA Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the um, and the Houston Rockets. This was the game where Akeem Olajuwon slugged Mitch Kupchak in the uh, Mitch Kupchak in the jaw, and they were kind of like, "See you later." For those who don't remember, man, um, Akeem Olajuwon was a hothead back in the day. He, he slugged a lot of players, where it was kind of like, "Well, that was kind of a sucker punch." That was interesting. So here we have Game Five. Potential elimination game between the Lakers and the Houston Rockets. This was the team with Lewis, uh, Lewis Lloyd and Robert Reed and Jim Peterson and Ralph Sampson and Rodney McRae and um, Akeem Olajuwon. And they were going up against the Lakers of Magic and Kareem and James Worthy and Byron Scott and Michael Cooper and those guys. Maurice Lucas was on this team. This was the last year. This was the last season that the Lakers had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the focal point of their offense after losing this game. Riley was kind of like, I got to make Magic the uh, focal point of the offense. And that's where he, that's where uh, Magic what, won his first MVP the next season where he averaged like 24 and like 12 assists per game. He was also NBA champions that next season were the Lakers. But um, yeah, so I'm watching this game on the um, on the screen. And it's like, you know, it's a damn shame. It is a damn shame because we always talk about, or at least I always do because I'm the man, I always talk about like unique basketball players. You know, it's kind of like when Bird first came into the league, a 6'9 guy who could shoot like that, unbelievable. A 6'9 point guard like Magic Johnson coming into the league, unbelievable, changing everything. Elgin Baylor coming into the league back in the late 50s with the Minneapolis Lakers, a guy who could hang and do all these things, inventing air time unbelievable Wilt Chamberlain coming into the room the league with his physicality unbelievable same thing with Shaquille O'Neal there's always been these players who have come into the league where it's almost like they change the they just change the way of thinking you know in terms of holy shit I never saw this coming the one guy because there's been other point guards who have been Magic's height there have been other shooters of Larry Bird's height. There have been other big men with the physicality, somewhere around the physicality of a Shaquille over a Wilt Chamberlain. There has not been a player in the NBA that has come close to what Ralph Sampson was. A guy who was seven feet four, not seven feet one, but a guy who was a legit seven feet four who could put the ball on the ground. And when I'm talking about putting the ball on the ground, could grab the rebound and take off, dribbling. A man who was seven feet four, who could lead a fast break. A man who could hit a jump shot. A man who could had a, who had a little post game. A man of unbelievable agility. There has never been anything close to what a Ralph Sampson was back in 19, between his payday was 19, what, 1983 to 1986. There has not been any basketball player close. We've seen guys who have been point guards who were who were big like Magic. We've seen guys who have been able to jump out of the gym like Michael Jordan, see Kobe Bryant. I mean, Ralph Sampson, there, there hasn't been another Ralph Sampson. There hasn't been a guy his height, with his skill level, with his agility, with his athleticism. There hasn't been. And Ralph Sampson played, what, his, his last 
Famed Glory was 1986, so 96, 2006, 2016. So we're going on almost 40 years where there hasn't been another player like Ralph Sampson. And I've always thought to myself, what is the next evolution of the NBA superstar? I mean, what is the next generation of a LeBron James going to look like? LeBron right now, what, 6'9", 250, genius of a basketball player, unbelievable athleticism, <clears throat> mixture of Jordan and Magic Johnson. What is the what is the next generation of LeBron James? What is the 2035 LeBron James going to look like in terms of the next unbelievable, fantastic change the way we watch the game of basketball player going to look like? What is the next evolution of LeBron James? Is he going to be like is he going to be like a seven foot two, three hundred and ten? Athlete who can run a 4-5-40 and with a 46-inch vertical leap, who can also have who also has Steph Curry type range at the three-pointer and can pass the ball like Bob Cousy. It's 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 just wild to think about that. But there has never been anything like Ralph Sampson in terms of um, what he came what he brought to the NBA. And the only reason why he's not regarded as one of the greatest players who's ever played the game was because he had bad knees. That was the only reason he had bad knees. He won the Rookie of the Year, I believe, his first year. He was the All-Star Game MVP his second year. His third year, he took the Houston Rockets along with Elijah Wan to the um, NBA Finals where they lost to one of the greatest teams of all time in the 1985-86 Boston Celtics. And then his knees gave out. And that was the end of it. He played in Sacramento. He played somewhere else. But for the most part, he was done. I mean, he was almost like the Bo Jackson of NBA basketball. This unbelievable shining shining star who just which is bright as can be and then all of a sudden just blip that was the end of it this was the man Ralph Sampson who actually entered the dunk contest remember the one with Larry Nance and Julia Serving and those guys yeah seven foot four Ralph Sampson was in that unbelievable athleticism a player that is like no other like I said could have gone down right there with Kareem and could have been I don't know it, it's just amazing but Watching the um, <clears throat> watching the game on the uh, big screen as I'm doing this podcast right now. Funny thing, I'll get back to the podcast. What I want to talk about in terms of the NBA right now in just a second. But this is just a great story. I want to I want to tell you. I read the book Showtime. Uh, Jeff Perlman wrote it. Really good book. And he was talking about the history of the Lakers, and they were talking about this season. This was the season the Lakers went like sixty and twenty-two, or they, they were they were awesome. And I remember, I mean, we don't have the internet. By that time, when I was watching these games, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have ESPN. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have all these things. I mean, players didn't have access to any kind of social media. So my thing was like, I cannot fucking believe as tears were rolling down my face when I saw Ralph Sampson hit that shot because my beloved Lakers were done. I could not believe a team that talented was losing like they were losing. But in reading Jeff Perlman's book, and they were taking a look at inside what was going on with the Lakers of that year, it was like that team was just dysfunctional to the core because it was like Pat Riley was starting to get was starting to get full of himself. He started to kind of take more of the credit, and the players were kind of like, well, this is kind of bullshit, man. I mean, you went from being the guy that was kind of like Greg Popovich in terms of, I don't want any of the spotlight, put it all on the players, to all now all of a sudden you're the person now that's going to be taking the majority of the credit of why we're, uh, why we're doing so well. Fuck you, man. So it was 
situation like like that that was happening that was permeating throughout the locker room through the entire year and some little spats and some little annoyances and stuff to where when they lost this game, it was almost like, good, I don't like anybody on this team anyway, so the quicker I get the fuck out of here, the better. That type of season. It was purely dysfunctional. And it got to the point, a great story was Maurice Lucas was one of the agitators, was one of the most annoying of the Lakers during that season because he came in from... Portland, he had won a championship with Portland back with Bill Walton back in 78, well, 76, 77 season. And he thought that, you know, Maurice Lucas thought that being a veteran, being an NBA champion, being a power forward of consequence, and being a player of consequence and a veteran, that, you know, he would kind of get the the perks of being a veteran. And Magic and Kareem and Pat Riley and those guys tried to tell him, no, when you join the squad, you start at the bottom. We don't give a fuck what you did. 10 years ago. We don't care how many championships you won somewhere else. We don't care about your stats and your accolades and your resume. When you join this team, you are no better in terms of your status as a rookie. So it was situations where, you know, uh, during the plane flights, rookies had to sit in the back. They flow, they, uh, during those days, the NBA players, they flew commercial. So back in those days, you know, Kareem and Magic, those guys, they had first class. And if you were a rookie or a new guy, you sat in coach. So here comes Pat Riley and the guys, you know, looking for their seats in first class. And here's Maurice Lucas sitting in first class. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And Maurice Lucas is like, well, I have seniority. I have seniority. And they're like, no, you don't have seniority. You are a new member of the Lakers. This is how we do things on this squad. Get your big ass up and get back to the back. So... <clears throat> One day they were having a meeting, a team meeting, right? And, you know, Magic spoke and a couple of other people spoke who were on the team who had been there for a couple of years. And Maurice Lucas got up to speak. And Magic Johnson said, even before, even before Lucas, Maurice, uh, got a chance to say a word, as soon as he got up and opened up his mouth, Magic said, no, 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 no. No one wants to hear from you. Sit, the, sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> No, 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 no one would, Maurice Lucas would not someone to be fucked with either. I mean, Maurice Lucas was a tough guy. Just ask Daryl Dawkins at the end of game two in the NBA finals between the uh, Trailblazers and the 76ers where, you know, Daryl Dawkins was a big, tough dude. And Maurice Lucas was like, I don't give a fuck. Put up his hands and said, let's throw. And, and Daryl Dawkins was like, well, shit, I don't want no part of this. So, I mean, Magic wasn't picking on the uh, Jerry Seastings or the Chuck Nevins of the world. No, I mean, he wasn't calling those guys out. He wasn't telling them to shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down. That was Maurice Lucas where Magic was like, man, shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down. <laughs> no, no one wanted to hear from you. Sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> Woo! Magic Johnson, my man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I told you this was going to be like NBA-centric. Man, I'm so... What's the word I'm looking for? Giddy? <laughs> that the NBA season has restarted. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw, teams that are favored to win the championships, they played uneven at best. Are we going to talk about the Lakers here? We're going to talk about the Lakers in a second. Let me talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, who have been 3-2 and two since the resumption of the season. So, so far... This season, if you take a look at it, in the first 60 games, they were 52-8. and eight. Now in the last 10 games, they're 3-7. Now they clinched the Eastern Conference number one seed. They beat Miami on Thursday. 
this past Thursday, 130-116, but they had to come back from being down by 23 points against a team with the Heat that played without Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic. Before the game, Milwaukee missed the opportunity to clinch the number one seed in the Eastern Conference by losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. No, by losing to the Brooklyn Nets, 119-116. I guess if you want to say what could be the game that clinched the MVP for Giannis, I guess it was that one because he only played 16 minutes he only played in the first half. He was 7-for-8 from the field before the Bucks decided to rest him. And they lost to a Brooklyn team that was playing with basically G League players. And the Bucks still went out there and lost. Now, Chris Middleton only played 16 minutes. Eric Bledsoe played only 18 minutes. Of course, the Milwaukee Bucks were taking it easy. They knew they were going to have the number one seed. They took a look at this Brooklyn Nets team that was starting nobody in terms of consequences concerned. They only, Brooklyn only played with one rotation player. From opening night because of injuries and players not being there and nine Nets testing positive for COVID-19 and Kevin Durant not risking re-entering his Achilles and Kyrie Irving wanting to uh, do some other things. So, you know, still no excuse. No excuse when you're the Milwaukee Bucks, even if Giannis and Chris Middleton, what do you think the Brooklyn Nets under Jacques Vaughn, were sitting up there, you know, trying to give their life to win this basketball game. If the if the Milwaukee Bucks played with any type of uh, urgency or respect, total disrespect that the Milwaukee showed the Brooklyn Nets, and they paid for it. The Nets were, what, 18.5-point underdogs or something like that, and they wound up winning by three. So Giannis, I don't know, man. He's been, on the, he's been solid. He's been averaging 30, 12, 13 rebounds a game. But he's also like averaged like three and a half turnovers and three and a half fouls. He's been getting into some, some, some foul trouble. And if you take a look at it, going into the game against Dallas, he was only 20 or 33 from the free throw line. So he's only had one game, and that was against Miami, where he was seven for nine, where he's shooting better than 70% from the free throw line in the game. And I know that he didn't shoot 70% against Dallas. So, interesting. He's shooting the three-point shot with more regularity. You know, he's averaging almost three-point uh, three so shot. He's averaging almost three shots per game from the three-point line. They've been uneven in terms, but I don't know, man. Like I said, I talked about before, you know, you, you can't sit there and sit there and talk about, well, the Milwaukee Bucks supporting cast needs to show Giannis that he needs to stay in Milwaukee. No, not Giannis needs to step it up. You know, so and part of that has been the defense. The defense for Milwaukee has been putrid. Gave up 112 points to Boston, 120 to Houston, 119 to Brooklyn, 116 to Miami, 136 to Dallas. Now you could say one of the things that have been quite clear in terms of the resuming of the season is the fact that the offense have been, has been great. The defense has not. So unless you're someone like Toronto, the defense has been a work in progress for a whole lot of teams. It's not just Milwaukee. And you can also say with the fact that basically Milwaukee wrapping up the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, the fact that, you know what, they're kind of going through the motions. They're getting themselves ready for the playoffs. Not excusable. That is not that is not a plausible, that is not a passable, that is not an acceptable excuse. You got to play a little bit harder than that. You're not going to be able to turn it on and off. This was a season where there was a break four months. I can understand that the season continued and you needed to rest up some players. These, you know, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton and Giannis and those guys, those guys had four months to rest to rest and get ready. So no, the the, the lack the lack of attention to detail 
for the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm sorry, it's a little bit more alarming than just, ah, you know, no big fucking deal. They'll be able to turn it on once the playoff comes. I don't know. And especially if you're speaking about if they're going to coast into the playoffs at the number one seed, then they're going to play the Orlando Magic, where playing at a half speed, they should be able to beat them rather handily. And you're still getting yourself acclimated to the surroundings that you're in right now. And I believe the longer you stay in this bubble, the more like I need to get the fuck out of here it becomes. Now, I believe after the first round of the playoffs, the family members and other folks are going to be able to come into the bubble also. But I I think it's going to be a test of wills to continue this routine, man. They've been there two weeks pretty soon. The... The, you know, it's going to start wearing thin. So there's going to be some other things, not just with Milwaukee, but as the teams go on in the playoffs that they're going to have to deal with also. How is, how are the Milwaukee Bucks going to be affected by that? So you take a look at the backcourt. Wesley Matthews, Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connington, George Hill. Hill had a wide open three from the left side that could have ended the game for uh, Milwaukee against Dallas. He missed it. I don't know, man. I don't know. If there's an Achilles heel, everybody talks about Giannis's free throw and the fact that, you know what, the way that he plays his type of game because he doesn't have a reliable jumper outside of 17, 19 feet. He's been shooting it now in the games that really don't count. But if we're speaking about these conference semifinals against the Miami Heat and there's two minutes left in the game and Milwaukee's down by four and they have the basketball and Bam out of Bayou and the others are going to be back in the paint and daring Giannis to shoot a 17-footer. Is he going to do it or is he going to revert to putting his head down, trying a Euro step, trying to spin within four people like he did in the Eastern Conference Finals last year against the Toronto Raptors? How did that work out? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Fred and Kyle and Pascal and Kawhi are wearing jewels and... Giannis is sitting there going, saying, what the fuck? So it'll be interesting. And if Giannis is going to issue shooting the 17 and 19 footer, and he is going to penetrate to set up his shooters, is Matthews and Bledsoe and Cunnington and George Hill and those guys going to be able to knock him down? I think Cunnington will in terms of the guards who can shoot from the outside and can hit an outside shot off of uh, penetration. I think Cunnington is the best of the five or four that I just mentioned, but it'll be interesting moving forward with the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just learning as I go along with this. This is not something where they can rely on home court advantage. This is not something where, you know, they have that routine down in terms of a normal season. This is this is different. So I believe that the playoffs, once they start next Monday, is going to be completely different in terms of what we see than what we saw when the season first resumed and how the season went before the season was suspended because of the coronavirus. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, you know, Toronto's played well. Yeah, they got blown out by 22 to Boston. But guess what? Boston had to go to uh, overtime against Orlando, who looked pathetic against Philadelphia. Houston played well. Phoenix is undefeated. I don't know how much that reads into in terms of other than the importance of Guys like Devin Booker, the organization, the culture of the Phoenix Suns going undefeated. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, I don't know what that means big picture because leading up, getting into the playoffs means you're going to be playing the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron and AD. Forget about it. So this is just some good seasoning. This is just some good experience. 
experience for the Phoenix Suns, so that's what I take into that. Houston, I, I just, man, hmm, what do you think? I just can't see that small lineup doing anything against Kawhi and Paul George or seeing them do anything against um, AD and LeBron. I think that they would do well against a team like uh, Utah, who struggles to score, but I just, when you rely on the three-pointer as much as the Houston Rockets do, man, I don't know. I don't know how you can continually sustain that over a seven-game series against a team like the uh, Lakers or the Clippers, especially a team like the Lakers who have a player in Anthony Davis. P.J. Tucker can't guard him. Robert Covington can't guard him. Those are the guys that are going to be at the guard, A.D., and LeBron is smart. I don't have anybody with the size to uh, match up with LeBron. Now, you could also say that, hey, well, guess what? Which one of the Lakers guards is going to match up with uh, Harden and, and Westbrook? True, but I'm looking at who's going to be able to get the easier shots. AD, LeBron, who are going to attack the rim, who are going to attack the mid-range, or are you taking a look at Russell Westbrook, who's a dynamo, who's kind of reinvented himself in terms of not really trying to shoot the outside shot, not trying to shoot the three-pointer, just you know putting his head down, using his uber-athleticism to get to the hoop. But when you do that against the Lakers, you're going to have Anthony Davis, you're going to have Jamel, uh, JaVale McGee, you're going to have Dwight Howard meeting you at the rim. If not the block, at least contest the shot. I don't, I don't know. And if you get past Harden, can be great, but Harden is another guy who has had his missteps, and his questionable performances in the uh, NBA playoffs. We saw the no-show that he had in Game 6 against the San Antonio Spurs where he disappeared. We have the multiple no-shows that he had in the games, the playoff games, a consequence against the Golden State Warriors. I mean, how do we know that? I don't know. Now, he's blamed fatigued and he's blamed other things. Well, he's not going to have the uh, excuse of that because of the time off leading into the playoffs. He's come in great shape. He's not injured, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I, you know, while Houston again has played well, what type of impact can they have in the uh, playoffs? We'll see. We'll see, but I don't know. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, <clears throat> one of the teams that kind of impressed me. Um, I like the play of the. Uh, I like the play of the uh, Clippers. <clears throat> How about this? The Clippers and the uh, Portland Trailblazers are now up there beefing. <laughs> the Clippers, I thought the win against Portland the other day without Kawhi and Paul George on a minutes restriction, load management, it, Montrez Harold, Pat Beverly didn't play. Basically, the Clippers went into crunch time with Jermichael Green and Rodney Magruder and Patrick Patterson. And those guys pulled it out. You know, Portland couldn't maintain a five-point lead with a minute 39 left to go. It wasn't Kawhi. It wasn't Paul George. It wasn't Lou Williams who saved the day for him. It was... Jermichael Green, Rodney Magruder. Rodney Magruder ain't going to get any time once the playoffs start for the Clippers, unless, unless you know, break glass in case of emergency. Jermichael Green, he's going to get some minutes, but still, Patrick Patterson, he might get some spot minutes every here, every now and then. But still, man, all of those guys scored in the final minute for the Clippers with Magruder's uncontested three-pointer with about 26 and a half seconds left, giving the uh, Clips a 118-117 lead. So what does this mean for Portland, huh? What's going on with Portland? Now, they bounced back. I believe they were beating Philadelphia pretty soundly, so I'm going to go on the assumption as I'm doing this podcast that 
Portland went ahead and beat um, the 76ers, but you know the Trailblazers still maintain a half-game lead over the Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs for the number nine spot in the Western Conference standings. They dropped a game and a half behind Memphis, but Memphis is reeling. They lost again to Toronto, 108-99. So the Eastern Conference is pretty much set. The Washington, my Washington Wizards are nowhere near challenging for that play-in game. So the number nine seed is still going to be a situation to where they're going to be in a position to play maybe the Memphis Grizzlies who continue to fall. The New Orleans Pelicans aren't going to be doing anything of consequence because they're, they've been disappointing. So it's really going to come down to a team like the Portland Trailblazers, Portland Trailblazers, the San Antonio Spurs. Um, those are going to be the teams. But and, and I was, again, thinking about this. The Clippers and the Trailblazers, if you watched that game, I don't know if you watched that game or not. Did you remember the end when Damian Lillard missed those two free throws? And then missed a three-point shot that could have tied up the game. And he was getting trolled and he was trying to get clowned by PG-13 and uh, Patrick Beverly. You saw all that nonsense that was happening? Where, you know, Blazers down 118-117, just under 20 seconds to go. Lillard, 87% free throw shooter, missed them both. both. And then Beverly, along with Marcus Morris, were laughing at him, you know. Beverly tapped his wrist loudly and yelled dollar, dollar time from the bench. And then after the game was over, he pulled out a familiar wave to send them off. You remember when Lillard hit that shot last season from about, I don't know, from about Astoria, Oregon to uh, end the season for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Paul George was on that team and he waved goodbye. It was it was awesome. It was cold-blooded. It was nasty. It was like Austin 316 said, I just whipped your ass type of like cold-blooded. But uh, I guess Paul George still remembers that shit. So it's like Paul George was kind of like saying, yeah, fuck you, Mr. Uh, this, that, and the other. So again, little response to what was going on in terms of the clowning that was going on with him from Beverly and Morris and, and Paul George. His response after the game, like I said, was Stone Cold 316 said, I just whooped your ass appropriate. Asking me about Patrick Beverly, who I sent him home before at the end of a game. Paul George just got sent home by me last year in the playoffs. So they know that the reason they're reacting like that is because of what they expect from me, which is a sign of respect. And it just shows what I've done um, at a high clip more times than not. So I'm not offended by it. Um, if anything, they should just tell you how, how much it hurt them to go through what I put them through in those situations previously. As Rick James would say, cold-blooded. Asking me about Patrick, Patrick Beverly, who I sent home before the end of a game. Paul George just got sent home by me last year in the playoffs. So they know. The reason they're acting that like that is because of what they expect from me, which is a sign of respect. It just shows what I've done at a high clip more times than not. So I'm not offended by it. If anything, it should, it should just tell you how much it hurt them to go through what I put them through in the situations in those situations previously. Ow! Dollar Dame! Did those boys also know that that man can rap? Now, I'm not saying that he's Rakim. I'm not saying he's the B-I-G-D-A-D-D-Y-K-A-N-E. I'm not saying that he's Heavy D. I'm not saying that he's Big L, rest in peace. I'm not saying that he's Big Pun, rest in peace. I'm not saying that he's at the level of those guys. I'm not saying he's at the level of most deaf or Nas. But, man, Dollar Dame can put it down, man. He's got some pretty good bars, man, for... um. For uh, being a guy who doesn't do this full time. 
Man, so he, don't give don't give uh, Damian Lillard any type of uh, ammunition to go into the studio, and uh, you know bring out a bring out a track. I mean, don't don't be on the other end. Don't be cool mode. Don't be LL Cool J. You know, you come out with Mama said knock you out, and then um, Cool Mo D had to respond and put both of them and put LL to shame. I mean, it was so devastating that LL lost all his hair. That's why he had to wear that skull cap, right? That's why he had to wear all those hats. Because after Cool Modi came out with How Do You Like Me Now and I Go to Work, ow! That was clearly a second-round KL by one of the greatest lyricists, Cool Modi, over LL Cool J. I'm bad. I'm get out of here. But, uh, yeah, so don't, don't, if Paul George and Patrick, Patrick Beverly, don't be LL Cool J to Damian Lillard's Cool Modi. Because, uh... It's something else. It's interesting because, man, you, you think about it, the Clippers, man. I, there was a time, everybody's talking about, we need rivalries. We need rivalries. There was a time when, you know, you had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, Doc Rivers, the coaching the Clippers. Everybody hated the Clippers. You're talking about rivalries. Who weren't rivals of the Clippers back then when you had Blake Griffin and CP3 and DeAndre Jordan on that team? Memphis hated those guys. Houston hated those guys. Portland hated those guys. The Lakers hated those guys. I mean, I guess, I mean, any team that had Chris Paul on it, and then you had Blake Griffin where people were getting upset because this guy was a front runner and he wasn't tough enough, and DeAndre Jordan was whining too much to, to the officials, and Doc Rivers was whining too much to the officials. So Terry Stotts and Doc Rivers got, got into it a couple of times, and the you know, Trailblazers didn't, and the Clippers didn't like each other. Zach Randolph used to beat up on Blake Griffin all the time. And so he with Marcus Saul, the grit and grime Memphis Grizzlies. So the Grizzlies didn't like the Clippers at the time. Nobody liked CP3. So it was just kind of like, we don't like the Clippers just because Chris Paul's on the team. So, man, I never thought, I thought after that was all broken up and, you know, Doc Rivers relinquished his general manager's duties to um, Lawrence Frank. And I thought that, you know, the Clippers were kind of turning the page, especially when you got someone like Kawhi Leonard, who don't say anything to nobody when he's on the court of, of any kind of consequence. You know, Kawhi ain't going to talk shit. And the players respect that. They ain't going to go at Kawhi. Paul George is a pretty good dude. And pretty good, I hate saying the word dude. Paul George is a pretty good guy. And ain't nobody going to go after him either. But, you know, so it's interesting. So I, I like this. I like this. Dollar Dame, I mean, who... Who's up there, you know, throwing shade at uh, Damian Lillard? So I, I like it. I, I like it. You know, not the not the villains that uh, you would think. So yeah, the Trailblazers and the <laughs> Trailblazers and the Clippers—they don't like each other. They do not like each other at all. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So as I mentioned before, I'm watching Game 6. Damn it! I'm watching Game 5 of Houston and the Lakers back in 1986. 
And it's like I'm watching Worthy, you know, go up and down the court. James Worthy was my, was my guy. You know, back in the day, it was Magic, of course. Byron Scott, because I was a shooter. Byron Scott was a great shooter. Bernard King, my favorite basketball player of them all, next to Magic. But um, another guy who I loved immensely was James Worthy. And it's like number 42, baby, Statue of Liberty dunk, coming off that fast break on that three-on-two board. There ain't nobody better during this time. But um, I was watching him play, and it's like, man, you know who he reminds me of? Giannis. Giannis at Denikupo. Just think about it, man. I, it's like Giannis is like the next version of like Connie Hawkins, then Dr. J, and then James Worthy. Everybody talked about, you know, Dr. J and James and uh, Michael Jordan being that next. No, 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 man. That wasn't even close. I think David Thompson was more of a comp to uh, Michael Jordan than Julius Irving. I mean, Julius Irving couldn't dribble and until the end of his career, he couldn't hit a jump shot. Julius Irving was a small forward. Um, one of the best ones we've ever played. But Julius Irving was a small forward. Michael Jordan was a shooting guard. And the only thing that they had in common was, was tremendous leaping ability. But David Skywalker Thompson, that's a that's more of a familiar, that's more of a, you know, plausible comp in terms of what Michael Jordan was, the next generation of, you know, the only problem with David Thompson was he had a cocaine problem. He blew out his knee or else he would have been the guy that would have been mentioned in terms of one of the you know great players of his generation, one of the great players of all time, along with MJ. But um, I thought that in terms of you know players of that next generation of the you know if they played in the in today's game, I mean if Connie Hawkins and Julius Irving played basketball in the year 2020, they would look like Giannis. So there you go. That's what I was kind of thinking about. So thought I'd just throw that at. Run that up the flagpole and see if you salute it. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me get out of here really quickly by speaking about a little bit, little bit more about the um, NBA. And my next podcast, don't worry about it, man. I got baseball I want to talk about. I got college football that I want to talk about. I got UFC coming up next weekend. Cormier versus Stipe Miocic. Round three or part three, trilogy three. Possibly the last fight in terms of, I mean, this could be, really could be a loser goes home. Cormier, he was supposed to retire what, last year, but because of Miosic and his eye injury and such, that had to be delayed. Um, if he would have beaten Miosic, Cormier would have been out of the game because he would have done everything that he wanted to do. So you're speaking about legacy on the line. If Cormier wins this, man, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you got to put him up there at the top three or four. You got to put him right up there with Anderson Silva and GSP and and all these other guys, John Jones, uh, Fedor, all of those guys. You got to put him in the same class. And if Miosic wins, without question, without a doubt, he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. I mean, we've already talked about him, you know, being the greatest heavyweight of all time, just based on a number of title defenses. But if he goes ahead and he beats Cormier twice, who's going to go down regardless as the top five, top six, top seven? MMA fighter of all time. If he could beat him twice, even if it's in a you know weight division that's more conducive to Miocic, still that's going to be something else. So I'm looking forward to speaking about that on my next couple of podcasts. Got to be catching up on my podcast because I took a week off. Went to uh, St. George, Utah, which is about 100 miles away to get my eyes checked. St. George, Utah. Yeah, St. George, Utah. Beautiful drive, by the way. Beautiful drive. St. George is really nice. Not enough folks who look like me for me to live in an area like that, but still, Utah is a beautiful, 
beautiful place. Wonderful drive. Can't wait to go back up and get my get my glasses so I can actually start seeing some things because I am blind as a bat, baby. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let me end with um, some other teams. I'm going to talk about the Lakers, the Philadelphia 76ers. I was speaking about, man, this team, you know, I'm going to be thinking about this team. Zach Lowe was talking about, you know, I'm, having, I'm not off the bandwagon for the Philadelphia 76ers because of their talent and everything. And Zach Lowe, who's a brilliant basketball guy, covers the league very, very well. Enjoy immensely listening to his podcast, The Low Report. Does an awesome job. Pick his brain in terms of listening to him. Learn, educate myself by listening to him, which he's done a fabulous job, all of those things. But uh, I'm with him in the terms of, man, I, I want to stay on the bandwagon of the Philadelphia 76ers. I really do. But when I see them play... It just looks like a bunch of players who just don't like each other. They don't like each other. They don't like playing with each other. And it's like, you know, you bring up, I brought up an instance of watching this game on YouTube in front of, um, you know, while I'm doing this podcast, the 86, 85, 86 Los Angeles Lakers, where on the surface, everything looked good, but beneath the surface, those guys couldn't stand each other. And it led to dysfunction. And it led to losing. And from the outside looking in, it was like, I can't believe they lost to the Houston Rockets. But when you peel back the layers, it was like, oh, no wonder they lost to the Houston Rockets. It's amazing how they got this far. It's the same thing. The Boston Celtics last year, they won a bunch of games. But it was like, you know, no one couldn't stand Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving couldn't stand them. Brad Stevens was just like a situation that was just toxic. No chemistry whatsoever. They didn't like coming to work. They didn't like being around each other. That's the vibe from the outside looking in that I got from watching the Boston Celtics play last season and the way they got blown out by the Milwaukee Bucks after beating the Indiana Pacers only because Indiana without Victor Oladipo couldn't score if their life depended on it. They couldn't score if they were at the chicken ranch and had a million dollars in their pocket. That's the only reason why the Philadelphia, uh, the Boston Celtics got to the second round that uh, last season where they got bounced ceremoniously horrific by the Milwaukee Bucks. It just looks like this Philadelphia 76ers team has taken on last season's Boston Celtics in terms of chemistry, in terms of continuity, in terms of just being around each other. And now they're going to be stuck in a bubble. I can see the first sign of adversity that these guys are like, fuck it, man, let go of the rope. Let's get me the hell out of here. They lost to Indiana before beating San Antonio, which they blew a 14-point lead. I watched them play against Washington, where they looked look like they were just going through the motions for the first half. They played against Orlando, a game that I watched, which, again, looked like they were just going through the motions in the first half. They lost to uh, Portland. Now, Joel Embiid, as I mentioned before, didn't play. He went out uh, during that game, so I don't know what the report is or the status is on that. But, you know, what's the impact of losing Ben Simmons mean? You know, what sources told ESPN, he's going to undergo orthoscopic surgery on his left knee. He's likely to miss the rest of the season. He's going to have a loose body removed from his left knee in the coming days. What type of body are we talking about where it's going to be taken from his knee? What do they do? What do you do? Swallow his arm, and now it's gone down to his knee? Interesting. Al Horford was going to replace Simmons in the starting lineup because Simmons was at the power forward spot, so Horford now moves back to the uh, starting lineup. So... I don't know, man. I, I have no idea what to do in terms of the Philadelphia 76ers. As I mentioned before, time and time and time and time and time again, you know, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris. I mean, individual-wise, they got players. 
Now, this ain't the, you know, the Miami Heat in terms of, uh, you know, LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. But still, you take a look at Horford, you take a look at the guys that they put together. Individually, those guys should be a lot better. But as a component of one, no, no. So if this team loses in the first round or gets blown out in the semifinals, I, I don't see how, number one, Brett Brown keeps his job. Number two, there's no humanly possible way that this team comes back intact. I don't know if it's going to come down between Simmons or Embiid. I don't know who's going to be traded, you know, Richardson or Al Horford. I mean, they're going to be made expendable. I don't know what you're going to do between, I would keep Joel Embiid, but man, has Joel Embiid showed that he has the maturity to be a guy that you can win a championship with? Basketball-wise, you know, Talent-wise, the guy the, most, the guy should be the most dominant player in the game. He should be. But he's got more Dwight Howard in him in terms of that regard than he does, fuck it, Bill Russell. I don't know. I mean, you know, that, you know, Joel Embiid, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So you're talking about Elton Brand's job could be on the line? I mean, so it, it would behoove the 76ers if they want to be continued to be employed by the team that they would do something. I don't know if you're Brett Brown. I don't know what else you can do. I don't know what more you can do. Maybe the loss of Simmons is now is going to open up and be, but you still don't have the necessary three-point shooter. Alex Burke is streaky at best. He hit a couple threes today, but is this going to be the guy that you're going to rely on? The space, the floor. Josh Richardson is a reluctant three-point shooter. Matisse Thibel is more of a defensive guy. You know, the, 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 the kid from Turkey. I mean, he's not a guy that you can rely on to shoot a three. Hortford is not the guy that you can rely on to shoot the three, even though he'll do it every couple of times. Um, Tobias Harris, more of a slasher than he is a shooter. So I don't know. I don't know. But this this team is broken in terms of just the ability to play with each other and the ability to get along with each other. And it's like they play down to the competition or they play up to the competition. I don't know, because when they played at home, they were unbeatable. Despite everything that I just mentioned about chemistry and all this stuff and lack of three-point shooting, which means they can't space the floor and the consistency of being dominant of Joel Embiid, despite all of those things that I just mentioned in terms of the problem for the 76ers, if you put them at home, they're almost unbeatable. But then when you take them off home court and you put them on the road, they're horrible. And with the... So what does that mean? They're great at home, they're horrible on the road, so does that mean they're just going to be average on a neutral site? Well, if they are, that means that they're going to lose in the second round of the playoffs, which means that Brett Brown is going to lose his job and there's going to be a major shakeup happening with his basketball team. So I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The New Orleans Pelicans, the biggest disappointment of the entire league since the season restarted. Two and three. Pathetic losses and efforts against the Clippers. That was just like one of those words, kind of like, oh, so you guys really don't want to be here, huh? That was pathetic. Uh, bad loss at the beginning of the restart, 106-104 to Utah. Now, they beat Washington on Friday night, 118-107. They lost to San Antonio today. Well, New Orleans is a couple of games behind Memphis for the eighth place, as I mentioned before, because of the injury to Jaron Jackson Jr. and maybe the new surroundings. The Memphis Grizzlies aren't experienced enough to deal with a situation like that. So it could be for the taking in terms of the eighth or ninth spot for New Orleans. And the league is begging the Lord, the league is pleading, pleading to the Lord that please do something so we can let Zion 
be in these playoffs so we can get more mileage out of Zion, but, you know, he's doing a minute's rest and everything, and I'm, I'm, it's like, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit tired of the Zion deal, and what should concern me and concern you and concern basketball fans and others is the fact that, okay, I thought when the league was suspended or postponed because of COVID-19, that I thought that it would give Zion the opportunity to rest, to heal, and to get himself in shape. And I remember a couple of weeks before play resumed that a source was telling folks from the New Orleans Pelicans that Zion is going to surprise them people. He's in great shape. And David Griffin, with the GM, was talking about how giddy he was, about how Zion looked and everything. And I thought that, all right, so we're going to get the Zion that we saw at Duke. Well, here we go again. Zion looks winded. Zion doesn't look in shape. He looks good. I mean, he's not like he, you know, has he doesn't look, he doesn't look like me. <laughs> God's sakes. So, I mean, from the outside looking in, I mean, physically he looks good. But when you watch him play, you know, he can only play in spurts. The Pelicans are still using minute restrictions on this guy. He didn't play it the other day against Washington because of rest. You're going to be resting a 19, 20-year-old. It's kind of alarming that, wait a minute, he had all of this time. The offseason that he had between March and July or August, that's longer than what he would have if he, if we had a normal NBA season. So you're going to try to tell me, and I'm, I'm quite sure that because of the COVID-19, maybe he wouldn't be able, he wasn't able to do all of the things that he could have done if we didn't have the situation. But you're going to try to tell me after four months, this is the best that he's going to be able to do, and you're still treating him like this. Look now, Zion is a something that we've never seen before in terms of his size, in terms of his athleticism, in terms of the force that he puts on his body. So, I mean, this is something where there's no comps to say, okay, a player this big and this strong and this athletic with this weight and this size, this is the this is the uh, road path or this is the avenue we should take down, we should go down to maximize his minutes. I understand that, but I don't, I don't know, man. Is this going to be, I mean, if this is going to be a situation where we're dealing with now when he's 20, what's going to be happening when he's 27, 28? I mean, are we looking at a, I don't know. Are we looking at Blake Griffin? Are we looking at Robert Tractor Trailer? I don't know. I don't know. And again, this is, this is unique, but we're speaking about New Orleans who poached the Phoenix Suns medical squad for you know, med- the Phoenix medical squad. They gave extra years to Grant Hill and Shaquille O'Neal and others. I mean, they're one of the best in the business. So you would think with this, you can't go any higher. You can't get any better. This is not the training staff being derelict in their duties when it comes to taking care of Zion. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea, but it, this, this tease thing that they're doing is starting to really get on my nerves. Now, I know that David Griffin and the organization and the benches really don't give a fuck about my nerves, and I understand that, but it's like, you know, it's like that, you know, it's, it's like I don't care. <laughs> You're getting to the point where it's like, look, man, when you have Zion start being on the floor for at least 30 minutes a game, 28 to 30, let me know. Other than that, you know, I mean, I just – I. I I'm, I'm tired of being teased. You teased me in summer league. You, you know, you picked me up. You, you brought me to the edge, and then you pushed me over. And then the start of the season, you brought me to the edge, and then you pushed me over. And then you know, you, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Well, you know, who's, who's going to be blaming on that one?
So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's explosive. But the kid still doesn't know how to play. He's explosive. And he's always going to be able to get buckets because of his unbelievable size and strength and athleticism. But he's clueless on defense. Um, can't shoot the jumper. Won't shoot the jumper. Reluctant to shoot the jumper. And you just can't put your head down and bowl over everybody for 82 games or 62 games or 52 games year after year after year. I don't care how big and strong you are. And if you were that big and strong, like we thought you would be, what are you doing on minute restrictions and resting because you can't play back-to-back games? So look, this is a guy who's going to have to learn how to play basketball because it's been obvious Throughout his life playing basketball, he's been much bigger and stronger than everybody else, so he can just bully everybody. So he didn't have to learn how to shoot a jump shot. He didn't have to learn to have low post moves. He didn't have to learn footwork like Luka Doncic. He didn't have to learn counter moves like other NBA players do because what counter moves? When he was playing in South Carolina, he was going up against five foot eleven, skinny, 135-pound white boys who were just no match for him. And then you go up and play against Duke where you could just overpower everybody with ease. And the NBA, it ain't like that. You're still going to be able to get buckets. You're still going to be able to be a force. You're still going to be able to be an unstoppable object when everything is all said and done, hopefully, if you're a fan or if you're the New Orleans Pelicans organization based on your physical skills. But you're going to have to learn how to play the game of basketball, son. Now, Alvin Gentry is a good coach to let him do that, to teach him that. But how much time does Alvin Gentry have? As a coach, if New Orleans, if they continue to play the way that they're playing now in the bubble, and then they come back at the start of next season, and they start off slowly like they did this season, is Alvin Gentry even going to be around? I don't know. I don't know. David Griffin didn't hire him. So who knows? I mean, Tom Thibodeau is now with the Knicks. Could you imagine Tom Thibodeau and Zion Williams? That's who we should want as the coach of the... Uh, New Orleans Pelicans, because there would be no question about Zion Williams playing 48 minutes if Tom Thibodeau was on it, was uh, coaching that team. That that relationship between Zion Thibodeau and Gail Benson and and David Griffin would last maybe about a half, <laughs> because they'd be talking about minutes restriction, and Tom Thibodeau would be saying, "Fuck you, you ain't gonna guard her and John Paxson me this time." I'm this ain't Chicago, motherfucker. I'm playing Zion, and I'm playing until that motherfucker drops. Whether it's next game or next century, I don't care. I'm, I'm going for it, but I don't know. We'll see what happens moving forward. I, if I'm the Pelicans, do you shut them down? Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let me get out of here with this. You Los Angeles Lakers fans. You Los Angeles Lakers fans in Idaho. In Seattle, in Compton, East L.A., Inglewood, San Bernardino, San Fernando, Anaheim, Astoria, Alameda, (laughs) Phoenix, Ahwatukee, Albuquerque, Logan, Utah, St. George, Utah. Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, there's Lakers fans all over the place. El Paso, Texas. Tucson, Arizona. Nogales, Texas. I don't know. All, basically, all you Los Angeles Lakers fans. Are you worried? Are you a little bit concerned? Is it time to be concerned about the Los Angeles Lakers? They've lost three in a row. As I'm recording this right now, two and four since the season restarted. They lost to the Pacers, 116-111. 
LeBron had 31, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. He sat out the first game since the Lakers clinched the number one seed. I thought that he would be out for the majority or at least not play any meaningful games or at least meaningful minutes, but that wasn't the case. Anthony Davis, 3 for 14 shooting after the game. He said, that was on me. All right. But, you know, the Lakers bench played well against the Pacers. Quinn Cook had 21 points, made five three-pointers, despite being negative 12 as far as a plus-minus while he was on the court. Dwight Howard had nine offensive rebounds in 20 minutes, uh, scored 10 points, was causing a lot, lot of havoc. Taylor Horton Tucker had 10 points in 16 minutes. The bench did well, but what that's telling me is that if this team, the Lakers, are going to win a championship, if this team has a chance against the Los Angeles Clippers. I can't really read the Denver Nuggets yet. Um, Jamal Murray played their first game back. Look, winded in a really good game against the Utah Jazz. So when you're speaking about the potential threats to the Lakers, the only or the main one I would uh, bring up to you is the Los Angeles Clippers. But, I mean, can you rely? If I'm the Lakers, man, I mean, these are some of the things that have been bu- bubbling at the surface in terms of, look, when you got – Anthony Davis, and you got LeBron James. I mean, I don't know. You could put three Lakers cheerleaders on the squad in the starting lineup, and they would still have a chance. But I'm just thinking to myself, okay, AD, LeBron, I mean, they're going to have to be awesome. And let's just speak about the L.A. Clippers, because the Lakers is all about making the championship and winning the championship. A successful season for those guys, especially after securing the number one spot in the West. It ain't making it to the conference finals. It's not about any of that stuff. This ain't, you know, building on their path to being elite. When you have LeBron James still in his prime in terms of being a top flight basketball player, when you have Anthony Davis right now in his prime athletically and physically and skill-wise, I mean, you got to take advantage of this right now. So biting the apple of championship of a championship doesn't mean making it to the Western Conference Finals. So I'm just speaking in terms of them playing against the Los Angeles Clippers. I think against the Memphis Grizzlies or the Portland Trailblazers or the Utah Jazz or the Houston Rockets. Yeah, great. They'll be able to get those guys. Those teams I'm not too concerned about. My concern, if I'm a Laker fan, um, would be what's going to be happening with the Clippers. And... Thinking about that matchup with the Clippers, it's like, okay, AD, LeBron, they have to be great. Can you be great, great, great against that defensive lineup that the Clippers can throw at you? You can put in the Morris guy. You can put in Patrick Beverly. You can put in Paul George. You can put in um, Kawhi Leonard. All can take shots at guarding LeBron James. Anthony Davis is the problem. Zubak is not going to be the guy that's going to be able to stop him. But Montrez Harold could give him just a couple of speed bumps. Not stopping him, I didn't say stop him, but give him a couple of speed bumps because Harold has the strength, the girth, the width, and the athleticism, and the motor, and the energy to allow him to do that. But So if if who's going to be that third guy for L.A.? The Lakers. Who's going to be that guy? That's the issue. That's the number one issue that I have with this team. LeBron's going to be solid. AD's going to be solid. We got that. But who's going to do, who else is going to go on for the ride? So are we going to be doing this by committee? So in a seven-game series, is it going to be game one? Uh, the third game is going to be Kyle Kuzma. Game two is going to be um, KCP. The third game is going to be Danny Green. The fourth game is going to be the combination of JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. The fifth game is going to be a combination of uh, Quinn Cook and... Um, Kyle Kuzma, uh, with a little help from Alice Caruso, 
You're going to need a guy. If LeBron's going to give you 25 and AD's going to give you 22, who is going to be that guy that's going to give you 16 to 18 on a regular basis? Is it going to be Kuzma? I don't know. Can it be Kuzma? He's averaging almost 14 points a game since the restart on 42% shooting, 10 shots per game. But he gets a lot of this stuff off LeBron. Okay. He scored 21 points against Houston when LeBron wasn't playing. Okay. By the way, LA lost that game pretty decisively. Danny Green, he didn't play against Indiana, but I mean, right now he's shooting 20% from the three-point line and 20% and is playing about 22 minutes per game. Are you going to look for him, the 3 and D guy? There's going to be come a time in the playoffs, whether it be in the finals or in the Western Conference finals, where you're going to need Danny Green to hit that corner three. You're going to need Danny Green to hit that um, right angle, left angle three. So far, he hasn't been able to do it. And last season with the Toronto Raptors, he went through long stretches in the playoffs where he couldn't do it. And he ain't the defender to where if he's only going to be shooting 15%, 20% for the three-point line, well, let's leave him in there anyway because he's a great on-ball defender. No, this ain't the Alvin, this ain't uh, um, uh, the kid for, uh, oh my goodness, Robertson, the guy from Oklahoma City. God damn it, I forgot his name. I see his face. I know his jersey. I want to say Alvin Robertson. It's not Alvin Robertson. He played for the Spurs. Anyway, but he's not a good enough defensive player to where, you know, you can keep him on the floor even though he can't shoot. So who's going to be that guy? And guard play. Who? I mean, can Tavius Caldwell Pope is your best backcourt player? All right, but all right. He's kind of streaky when it comes to three-point shooting defensive-wise. Are you really going to be comfortable? Can you win a title? Laker fan, let me ask you a question. Armando, you're a Laker fan. Let me ask you this. Can you win a title with Deion Waiters averaging 22 minutes per game when he's shooting around 32% from the field? Are you really going to put your hopes and your trust of winning the title in Deion Waiters? Can you win a title relying on J.R. Smith, who was out of basketball for over a year? And then you all remember what happened in Game 1 and the NBA Finals against the... Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago when James and JR were both teammates of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can you really win a title with Alex Caruso playing crunch time minutes? Those are the things the Lakers are going to have to ask. And I don't know. I don't know. And then again, Caldwell Pope, okay, somewhat of a shooter. But who else is going to give you that three-point shot if Danny Green is going to continue to shoot like he's been shooting? And the evidence doesn't show that once the playoffs start that he's going to be able to turn it around. Who knows? I don't know. Are you really going to rely on Quinn Cook? I remember Stan Van Gundy was talking about in the game that, you know, they're going to rely on, you know, Quinn Cook is going to get the meaningful minutes once the playoffs start in an important game. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you want to do that? Laker fan, are you... Are you comfortable with that? Because if I'm a Laker fan, I'm not. And it's, it's going to be the LeBron. If, if the Lakers are going to win the title, it's going to be LeBron and AD carrying a load that is, that is going to be monumental. That is going to be humongous. Maybe, shit, maybe bigger than any other team out there. Paul George and Kawhi. They don't have to carry that type of load that the Lakers, uh, LeBron, and AD are going to carry. Denver, Nikola Jokic, and um, Jamal Murray, they're not going to be able, they're not going to have to carry the load because of the supporting cast, even with uh, Gary Harris out and a couple of others out. I mean, you take a look at the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. 
you know, Kemba, Jalen, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward. I mean, they got some guys there that can step up. Who's going to step up for the Lakers outside of uh, LeBron and AD? So it'll be interesting. It will be interesting. All right, man, I'm out of here. I'm good. I'm good to go. What time is it now? Oh, shit, everything's closed. I'm starving. Should I go get a pizza? My fat ass at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday does not need to be eating no goddamn pizza. But that, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll think of something. I'm going to continue to watch this game. I've been watching a lot of uh, Last Chance You. <laughs> these, these guys, um, I, I don't know, it's on Netflix. <laughs> these guys, man, this coach for East Mississippi East Mississippi, East Mississippi Community College, well, I tell you, man, you, you couldn't pay me what we owe China for me to be living in Mississippi. God bless them, folks. Just just not for me. Just not for me. Not saying they're bad people one way or the other. Just That shit just ain't for me. So I'm going to binge watch a little bit more of, the, more of that and wake up, get some work done, try to see what I can do to make it through another day, man. Thank the Lord. Then I made it through today. Let's see what I can do about making it through tomorrow. And then after that, I'll worry about the next day and the next day and the next day. So I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Please continue to listen. I'm good. My name is Wendell Wallace. Be good. Be kind. Be thoughtful. Be generous. Listen. Learn. Listen. Learn. Shut up. Listen. Educate yourself. Listen and learn be educated by someone they don't need to have a phd they don't need to be going to a fancy school you can listen and you can learn from a lot of folks with experiences that you've never had before that are sleeping on the street man you know can barely utter two words together you don't need to have a doctorate you don't need to have a law exam you don't need to be a genius to learn from somebody who is the exact opposite of that and for you to become a better person so put away your bias put away your stereotype Put away your bigotry, put away your racism, put away all of them old thoughts that you've been ingrained for decades. Shut up, open your mind, listen, learn, and be educated. I'm out. Give me some music. Stone